Okay, uh, welcome to Grange TV for our second episode. My name is Fabrizio. I'm here with Anthony Seabold, the head coach of South Sydney Rabbitohs, and David Roberts, TAFE extraordinaire. Um, Anthony, how are you? Yeah, good, Fab. Great to be here. I'm good to chat. Um, done a little bit of work with you in the past. Um, been really excited actually to, to have you on here and that. I'm just curious how you've been and how's the transition going from, I suppose, assistant coach into coach and the actual transition in the season. How's that all going? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been surreal in some ways, uh, particularly early because, um, you know, having been an assistant coach for so long, uh, it's all about the footy. It's, you know, like you know, the tactical, you know, tactical, physical side of things, you know, the mental side of things. Whereas as a head coach, it sort of, I suppose, encompasses a lot of things um, away from away from footy as well, you know, whether it's, um, you know, roster management, salary cap, uh, you know, media, uh, player managers, uh, members. Um, so I think, um, yeah, that's probably been the, the biggest change, just that there's a lot of extras, um, you know, added on to um, just the, the footy side of things. Um, yeah, it certainly puts um, it puts uh, pressure on your time, but you just need to be well planned and um, you know manage your time really effectively. And I'm pretty lucky; I've had a couple of really good mentors, um, you know, over over my whole um, you know, coaching career so far. Um, you know, whether it was Mads, Scrad Bellamy, Trent Barrett, Kevin Wallace with the Origin, um, I've been really fortunate. You, because you your tenure as an assistant coach is that longer than most people's. Would have been? Um, I think it varies. You know, I think um, I was quite fortunate that I got an opportunity uh, back in 2005. So, um, what was I, 31 at the time? So, not long retired. Um, I'd done a, a Bachelor of Teaching and a Master's of Education uh, whilst I played. And, um, you know, I, I worked um, in schools for two years, worked uh, at university level for about uh, 16 months. Um, as a lecturer um, at the University of Southern Queensland. So uh, I sort of I, I got an opportunity to go back to the UK uh, as an assistant coach, yeah, as I said, 31 turning 32. And um, yeah, you know, I was, I was quite young. So yeah, it's been, a, been a, a pretty long journey, but at various levels, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't start, you know, right at the top, um, you know, in, in the NRL, I, I went to a second division club in, in the UK to start with as a coach. Worked my way up there um, into the Super League and, and then sort of progressed um, ever since I come back to Australia. I think David, David and I, we both worked together at TAFE. Dave's the Director of Aboriginal Education. And one of the things that we, we speak about a lot is, um, I think David was the one that brought it up, was the, the concept of having like a master and apprentice. And for, to me, it seems like you've done like a massive apprenticeship. Yeah. And that just when, when you look at how long you've spent a lot of time in Europe. Yeah. Second division, first division came out here, yeah. um, origin and all that stuff. How, to me anyways, it looks like that would be an extremely enriching experience. It can only be helpful to you now as a head coach. How, what's your opinion on that? How, how prevalent is that in, in the game today? Um, I think it, it probably uh, varies from person to person. I think, um, yeah, it, look, 11, um, 11 years is a long time, I suppose, um, you know, to have assistant um, coaching roles or, you know, head, head coach of like under 20s when I was at the Storm and so on. But um, I think it's held me in really good stead because, um, you know, I haven't been fast-tracked. I haven't, um, you know, I wasn't, a, a, although I played NRL and played in the English Super League, uh, you know, I wasn't a, an elite player, um, you know, so I've had to sort of, I suppose, um, you know, open my own doors and, and knock down some doors along the way. But, um, you know, I'm really curious as, as, a, as a coach. Um, I, I'm a lot, you know, I consider myself to be a lifelong learner. I, I love... 
uh, learning and, and looking at other ways of doing things and uh, looking at other sports and other coaches. Um, you know, so I've been uh, very curious along the journey, but I think the 11 years, um, I've had good years, I've had poor years, I've been at the best, you know, best clubs, um, you know, worked with the best teams like the Origin, but also one year I was an assistant to a team that come last in the English Super League, you know, so I've been, I've been here, there and everywhere, which I think help, you know, helps me to understand that uh, there's going to be some challenges along the way in this current role, and there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's, you know, real um, optimism around uh, the Rabbitohs at the moment, but I'm realistic enough to know that, um, you know, we're, um, we've got a long way to, to go and, um, you know, I think that the experiences I've had over that long journey certainly will help me, um, you know, uh, be well prepared for this role and, and um, you know, anything that's thrown at me, I think, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll be ready to handle. I think when you look at that with people, like, you only see, like, the, the end result. Like, and people are really, yeah. they're really, really caught up in that if you're going to win or if you lost or whatever, and they don't, people don't understand, like, 11 years as assistant coach or 11 years in that, in that field, and then plus your playing career from I don't yeah. know, ten years old yeah, onwards I mean, or whatever. Yeah, six, yeah. Yeah, so you, you've been um, you've been forged in that game. So uh, to me, uh, even because when I met you, you were assistant coach with with Maguire, my, yeah. my business partner, as a, the grappling coach there. But um, I and and just speaking to both of you is like not good or bad either way. But there's things that like when you're talking to someone. And I've been around a lot of different coaches and there was stuff that, just little things that you were saying that I was like, this guy's like, um, yeah, he's, he's like, you, you, you clued on. And then um, being how I am, because I, I, I like to know who I'm talking to, yeah. you know, so, and I looked up that, that you did have a, 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 not just a background in teaching, like, you know, we're all teachers here, but you also have a background that, like academia. Yeah. You, were, you, were, yeah. you were teaching at, at, at a very, very high yeah. level. And what's that transition like and what's your ability, do you think, to be able to bring those two worlds together? Well, first of all, I love my time uh, working at university level. I, I, um, uh, as you said, you know, I worked with um, you know, academics in that particular world. Um, so uh, I got a lot out of it because, um, you know, as part of some terrific research papers, you know, uh, people like Tim Gabbett, uh, Richard Johnson, um, you know, guys like that who've, um, you know, uh, you know, done a lot of research in and around the performance in sports science, um, you know, of not only rugby league, but a number of sports uh, uh, worldwide. Liam Kildoff from Swansea University as well. I was part of some, some stuff that Liam uh, produced as well. But, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's helped me um, in and around um, you know, research and being curious and, um, you know, uh, the planning that's involved with working at, at university level, you know, feedback you have to give students, feedback you have to give the other staff. I think, um, you know, that's sort of, um, you know, given me a, a real good insight into, um, you know, what's required in this job. You know, I think uh, communication's a real key um, to this position and any um, coaching position, whether it's an assistant coach or, or head coach uh, role, I think, communication and clarity and around um, you know the message that you're trying to give to the players individually or collectively is a real key for us so I think there's a, a lot of transfer um, you know looking back I, I wouldn't have done it any other way you know I'm glad I, I had an opportunity to teach um, for a couple of years at school level and um, really fond of them you know my, my 14 months that I had at, at USQ up in Queensland as well because um, yeah, as I said, there's been um, look a vast amount of, uh, of transfer to my current role. I think um, it's really yeah, Tim Gabbett. You you brought him up as someone that I've followed for a little yeah. bit, um, and uh, I actually had a friend that went out went up there 
uh, Justin Lane is a friend of mine and he just uh, he went up there because he works he's an exosphysiologist works with Rob and works with a few different people and we, he went up there just like off his own say so um, spent his own money to go up there and just have a chat with um, Tim about uh, sports performance and that something yeah. that I want to do I'd love to have him on the podcast yeah, in the future yeah. um, just sounds like someone that really knows about that performance yeah. and everything he just gets it it's, a, it's the best way that I can probably describe it Tim was probably one of the first people um, you know certainly within Australia but even I suppose worldwide who, who started to talk about the peak demands of the game and, and worst case scenarios and, and, and even in um, you know wrestling or jiu-jitsu or combat sports you know, combat in general sports, yeah. um, there, there are peak demands you know and you need to, you need to, if, you, if you train for the average demands of the sport for me that's underpreparing for, for, for your sport or your event so Tim was one of the first to, to do that, and um, I actually sort of, um, I'd, know, I'd, I'd met Tim many years ago, but only very briefly, and, and I think it was 2011 that um, I caught up with Tim again, and I was working for the North Queensland Cowboys Feeder Club um, in the Queensland Cup, and Tim was doing some work with the Cowboys, and he spoke to me about um, doing a year-long project with me, and every time that the team that I was looking after from North Queensland, we travelled to Brisbane, he'd actually put the GPS um, okay. on our players at Queensland Cup level, which is semi-professional, although we did have some full-time players from the Cowboys. And what we were looking at were, um, we were looking at, um, you know, um, some, some intensity indicators. So back then it was metres per minute, which is um, probably for us now, we look more at accelerations, decelerations, but at the time we were looking at metres per minute, uh, we were looking at position-specific um, um, indicators as well but he was the first one that sort of I suppose uh, poked me in and around looking at training for the peak demands of the worst case scenario and he now travels worldwide he's, he's very well regarded um, throughout um, you know world sport um, he goes to, to talk to um, you know different clubs different um, you know a, a academics across the world around worst case scenarios in different sports but also uh, he talks about um, training um, harder but smarter. Yep. Yeah, so he's a very interesting guy. I've got a great uh, amount of respect for Tim. And, and um, you know, last time I spoke to him was before Christmas. I, I um, you know, keep in regular contact with him. That's awesome. I think uh, a lot of the, some of the stuff we take, and we take it, I guess, we follow him. Justin spoke to him uh, around monitoring the training loads yeah. and just being yeah. being aware of that. I think that's some of the stuff that we implemented in our in our training as well um, but it's definitely something that I'd like to follow up further with him. yeah definitely I think um, like uh, Tim's a real common sense person if that makes sense yeah absolutely um, because some, sometimes I think um, in my experience you know some, some of the research um, is potentially good in theory but more difficult to do in practice absolutely, or, or yeah. harder to transfer in practice where the thing I love about Tim um, you know and guys like Calvin Giles and um, you know, there's, there's a number of others who, um, you know, I, I sort of lean upon. Um, it's a real common sense approach and um, easily transferable. And, um, yeah, Tim, as I said, uh, you know, um, yeah, he, he's a very smart guy. And, um, and I've leaned on him quite a bit. More recent times, uh, Kelvin Giles, uh, we've had come, um, you know, Kelvin's worth um, the listeners, um, you know, doing a little bit of research on John Pryor, who, uh, worked with Eddie Jones um, with the J- a Japanese World Cup rugby union side um, in 2015. He was a, he's another one that I've I've done a little bit of work with recently. Who, uh, who yeah really values sort of their opinion in and around um, you know, that performance space. Because I, I see a lot of the stuff that um, just you know I guess with the, with the work that we do with Rob and a few of the other fighters, uh, it's funny because we are 
it, where Rob's extremely accessible to people, like yeah. if they, they can just come into where he trains, kind of thing. And one of the one of the, the things is like uh, you're open to you know people's opinions, which are the worst thing you can listen to, even if they're right. A lot of the times, you don't you don't want to you don't want to hear them. But um, I also see like all the jargon and the all the new age stuff that's associated with I don't know being in the industry. And then when I hear people, like you said, like it's just sort of a common sense yeah. approach, like just keep it simple yeah. with the training. And, I, and one of the things that I was going to ask you is how does that, how do you think having that education background, that academia background that you have, help you with your critical thinking and your ability to, you know, causation doesn't equal, cor- uh, correlation doesn't equal causation kind of thing? Like, how does that help? Yeah, it's helped me enormously. I think, um, uh, you know, I think um, you talk about critical thinking, you know, one thing that it's enabled me to do is, is um, you know, Excuse my language, sort of cut, cut the bullshit. You know yeah, absolutely. I mean? um, Go uh, say whatever you want, Anthony. <laughs> say whatever you want, um, mate. You know, so uh, yeah, that, that's it. Certainly helped me um, because you, you, I imagine you guys get it in your industry too. You know, we get a, a whole heap of salesmen or um, you know, snake the worst, or, snake or uh, salesmen. You know, uh, contact you through different um, mediums and and so on, always trying to sell you a um, you know the, the brand new um, you know way of doing things, but. Like I said, a common sense approach is is um, a simple approach, but an effective approach. And you know, I've, I've sort of spoken about um, you know what we've sort of changed in our preparation here, and it's it's um, uh, it's something that we we, we use um, called tactical periodization. But effectively, it's a common sense approach. It's just making sure that you integrate the physical, you know, tactical, technical, and, and behavioural side of things. It's it's pretty simple. It's it sounds uh, sexy, but it's, oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a common sense approach. That's that's pretty much what it is. So, um, yeah, you know, I think um, yeah, you, we need to sort of um, you know, cut out the bullshit and uh, get on with um, you know doing the simple things really well. Uh, simplicity for me is um, you know is, is a real key. When you talk about tactical periodization, do you want to explain a little bit? Because I, I was I heard a couple of interviews, uh, you know, with yourself in regards to tactical periodization. I've heard, you know, from some, you know, high-level coaches in like the soccer slash football yeah. world. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we implement our own version of yeah. that as well. And I was just curious how, yeah. what your thoughts were on that. Yeah. So Do you want to expand on that? It's it's a theory that's been around for a little while. And in actual fact, um, when I was actually lecturing at university, which is way back in uh, well, 2000, uh, end of 2006 or 2007 into 2008 um, is something that sort of um, you know I, I read a lot about now it's it's a it's a it's a theory I suppose you'd call it or, or um, a practice that come out of Portuguese um, soccer and um, it's now sort of been implemented by uh, Pep Guardolia um, at the clubs he's worked at uh, Jose Mourinho um, Eddie Jones in rugby union and, 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 a, and a number of other yeah Mourinho was the one I read about yeah, yeah. you know a num- number of other coaches but effectively what tactical periodization is about is, is that integrated approach so it's merging the physical the tactical the technical and, and the psychological behavioral um, side of things now to give you a real life example how we would potentially do that in our sport is um, let's just talk about high speed running which is really important for, for, for rugby league players you know um, being exposed to high speed running is uh, a real key because we have to do that in our game at times Absolutely. so if the physical is the high speed running component of it the the um, um, the tactical or the technical um, is trained on the same day. So I'll give you an example. We might do some high-speed running with our performance coaches on a Monday. Well, we do all our kick chase um, 
plus one, plus two, we call it all our kick chase. You think about a kick chase, that's where we do the, the most amount of high-speed running in a game of rugby league. So it doesn't make sense to do your high-speed running with your performance coaches on the Monday, then the Tuesday you do your kick chase practice because you're exposing the guys to high-speed running two days in a row, which puts them at risk. So effectively, in a nutshell, it's uh, high-speed running with performance coaches, and you might do that for a block of 10 minutes, into a block of 10 minutes doing your you keep chase plus one plus two practice. So again, it's pretty common sense approach. Absolutely. Um, then on your Tuesday, you'll do all your acceleration deceleration work with your um, performance coaches, and then um, from a from a footy point of view, we'll practice um, a lot of our um, you know goal line defence. You think about you know when you're defending your line, you know you're up hard off the line. You're, you're trying to put some pressure on the halfbacks or the ball players. Then you have to reload really quickly back, which is acceleration but then you need to decelerate as you get to the line then you need to accelerate off the line so again it's a common sense approach of if XL decels our physical um, you know attribute that we're, we're training on the Tuesday well it makes sense to do the football side of things on, on that particular day so, so that's one way of doing it the other thing about tactical periodization is um, you know we talk about there's only four moments in a game so if you think about rugby league there's only four moments we train um, over here at Redfern and that's um, attack defense transition to attack and transition to defense they're the only four moments yeah, that we practice fully get it. so, yeah. so um, every minute of every training session we're practicing in one of those four moments so that's at the very um, heart of, of tactical periodization and again um, I think you know some coaches probably talk about it or know a little bit about it um, you know I'm really lucky that um, our head of performance Paul Devlin and myself we, we, we both used to work at Melbourne Storm a number of years ago um, we've um, you know we've always kept in contact even when we went to, to different clubs and um, down different pathways but uh, we've always been very well connected as far as um, you know sharing ideas sharing information um, you know looking to, to to better ourselves so um, you know quite fortunate that um, devs has a real deep uh, understanding of it and I've, I've been really lucky that you know I've had access to guys like Eddie Jones and Kelvin Giles and John Pryor and, and all these guys who are experienced in um, you know, actually implementing um, that way now there's more than one way of doing things as, yeah, absolutely. as, as you guys know but that's 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 my way of doing things um, you know and it's very different to other coaches um, in, in a lot of ways but um, you know there's more than one ways to, to get success so um, yeah we know it's not going to be easy but we thought that for this particular group at this particular time, um, just having a real common sense approach to our, our preparation is, you know, is something that uh, we think is significant for us. So, yeah, we've chipped away at it during the pre-season, and um, you know, we we, um, yeah, we want to transfer that to our game day performances and you know, make sure we keep heading in the right direction. All right, just like I'm going to kind of move away from football for a sec. I'm going to come back to it for sure, and I yeah. think inevitably it's going to lead back. Yeah. The conversation is going to lead back to football. Happens with like with Alex. I mean, Alex, like, well, I won't talk about jujitsu or grappling or whatever, and then we start talking, and then it eventually goes back to that, anyways. Um, who who is Anthony Seabold? Like, yeah. who who are you? Like, what do you do when you're at home? Like, yeah. how'd you get into football? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a place called Rockhampton, uh, which is up in central Queensland. So, um, mum and dad had me when they were very young. Mum um, was only seventeen, dad was only eighteen. So, um, you know. Um, my younger brother and younger sister are a lot, are, are a lot younger than me. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when I was a little fella, uh, Dad was playing local footy up for a team called Rocky Brothers. So I can still sort of remember um, being a ball boy or sitting on the sideline watching him play. So Dad was a real hero for, for me growing up, um, as, as most dads are yep. for, for kids. 
and he played for Rockhampton Brothers. So I always, from the moment I sort of can remember, I always had a blue and white jersey on up there and uh, a ball boy from when I was really young to probably about 14 or 15 um, for, for Brothers. And uh, yeah, so I suppose Dad sort of introduced me to footy. He was playing we were just at the end of his career, uh, local footy. and. Um, I started playing as a six-year-old for um, for brothers in the um, in the local comp up there. So I uh, loved it. Made some really good friends early. That uh, you know, one of them, Ray Busby, still the best friend today. You know that I met when I was six. Um, we speak to each other a couple of times a week. Still, he's he's now on the Gold Coast. But um, yeah, so that's sort of what got me into footy. Um, who I am away from footy now. I've got um, three young daughters who. Um, you know, need a dad. You know, they don't want a footy coach, so um, and they need a dad. So I try and prioritise, um, you know, time with them, and it's really difficult to do that as well. Do you think it helps it, like I don't know, to round you off as a as a person or whatever? Um, do you think it helps that the fact that you've got daughters, and because I think if you had a son, inevitably, the conversation, even if it doesn't yeah. go to football, it'll go to sport. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you think having daughters helps you work on another side of your brain? That yeah, definitely helps me understand. Um, you know, helps me understand them uh, more because, um, like my my youngest daughter, like she has no interest in footy at all. So you know, if I have a bad day, you know, even when I was an assistant coach or it's been a long day here, you know, in the pre-season, I go home. And she's not really interested. You know what I mean? How old is she? Uh, she's eight. You know, um, the oldest my oldest girl is, is fifteen. Um, and my middle girl is uh, is you know twelve, so um, or turning twelve. So um, yeah, look, they love their sport. They all play netball, basketball, um, touch footy, but um, you know more so netball and basketball. So um, you know I go and watch them play whenever I can. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a good um, because oh, yeah, good, I see good so different. Away. Yeah, so good good break away from from the footy. And I can just go and chill out when I watch the netball or the basketball, if that makes sense. You know, I'm not worried about tactics or I'm not worried about the result. Um, I sit there and just um, enjoy it, I suppose. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, a loud sort of person. I don't, um, I'm not one of the parents who, who are singing out from the sideline or, or telling the kids what to do or anything like that. I just sit there and do, I just enjoy sport for, for sport's sake, you know. So um, I spend a lot of my time doing that. And, um, you know, I love having a swim at the beach as well. So just to, gets me away from footy and helps me relax so um you know that's that's sort of what i do um i read books you know i don't do a whole heap you know i don't have a whole heap of hobbies i suppose i've turned my hobby into uh, yeah, into. into my job so um yeah i'm pretty um I'm, yeah i'm a country boy still at heart so um you know i sort of don't like the bustling city too much but it's uh, yeah it's um, lucky you just live like in the heart yeah, of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really. yeah, so uh, you know, as I said, uh, you know, there's um, it's a good opportunity for me to get away from footy and clear my head when I get home. You um, you your surname Seabold is yeah. that German? It is, yeah, yeah. So um, my granddad uh, grew up in Germany, um, a place about an hour outside of Nuremberg. Um, called Vilsack, which I went, I've been to once. I went there when I was playing in the English Super League. Um, we played a Friday night game, so I went and spent the weekend. He was back um, in Germany visiting some of his relatives, so I actually went and spent a weekend there. Oh, that so would be I, cool. I, it, was, it was cool. I you know, saw the, the, the uh, grave sites of my um, ancestors, um, spent a couple of days in, in the village that he grew up as a little boy. 
um, met some of his relatives, so it was really good. And that's about 19 years ago now, and um, yeah, my granddad's still alive up in Rocky. But effectively, he came across here in 1955 on a boat from Germany. Um, it was sort of when the um, Snowy River project um, was was going ahead, and, and they were looking for, um, um, from my understanding, like you know, Europeans who sort of had um, um, you know trades and, and skills, you know, so. Um, he, he came out here and, and worked on the Snow River uh, project. That finished, he went to Melbourne and my nan was a nurse and she was from up central Queensland but she actually was, was nursing in, in Melbourne at the time and they met and um, yeah, fell in love and, and got married and, and my dad was born. Um, and in actual fact, um, when my dad was born, my granddad uh, hadn't become an Australian citizen. So um, I've actually got a German passport because um, um, my granddad wasn't uh, an Australian citizen, therefore okay. my dad was cl- classified as a German national, even though um, ah. even though he hasn't actually got a passport and he's only ever been to Germany once. But then, because um, it's passed down through um, uh, pater- you know, uh, fathers uh, in the German law, because dad was classified as a, as a national, then I was. So in uh, 2002, I think it was, yeah, 2002, I, I got end up getting a passport. Um, which I've still got today. So I've got a dual passport, I've got an Australian passport and a German passport. <laughs> and, and your mum's side? Look, which... Yeah, so, so um, mum's um, side of the family is from Gympie. Um, yeah, so... Um, Where's Gympie for? Gympie is sort of southeast Queensland. And um, yeah, she's from there. Um, her dad was a train driver. So, um, yeah, so really working class roots. Um, he got transferred to, um, to Rockhampton. And uh, well, Winton, then Rockhampton. Winton's out in the middle of nowhere, out near Longreach, but then to Rockhampton, and, and she finished off school there. And um, both my nan and, and um, granddad on that side of the family passed away now, but yeah, so uh, mum sort of moved around a couple of places because uh, my granddad was a train driver, and um, yeah, so she, yeah, she's she's sort of from uh. From, from Gympie originally, and she's still got family there in Gympie, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't get to see them uh, too often at all. Um, yeah, so um, sort of Rocky is probably where the bulk of it, the sort of family that I keep in touch with live. Where's home for you now? Like, would you, is, is home Sydney now? Would it be Sydney? Um, well, it is for the moment. Like, we, we've been, you know, really sort of transient, I suppose. Um, you know, the last, yeah, well, even when I played footy, I sort of bounced around a few different clubs. Uh, here in Australia and, and overseas. Um, I don't see Rocky as home anymore. Mum and Dad still live there. My brother um, still lives there with his family um, and some other relatives like my uncle and so on. But uh, like I, the last time I went home there was last March. Um, you know, so whenever I'm done, you know, coaching um, in rugby league, you know, I, I, I won't move back to Rockhampton. Um, What's know, it like, Anthony? Because my understanding is like you bounced around Europe kind of thing. Like yeah. uh, then, did did you play in Germany? Or something no, like I, it was a funny story actually. I was coaching. I actually finished playing footy. It was two thousand and six, and um, so I I finished playing. I'd finished playing footy in two thousand and five, and my last year I played footy was back in the Queensland Cup, which is a part-time, I was semi-professional in Brizzy, and I was helping coach and then play for the Broncos team, which is called the Clydesdales, 
So all the legends at the time, um, or sorry, legends now, but at the time were coming through that team. So Sam Thiday, Barry Barnes, who played for the Wallabies, Nev Costigan, who played for Queensland Origin, um, Greg Eastwood, who plays for Bulldogs now, but has also played for New Zealand. Um, there was a stack of kids coming through, so I was helping coach them. I was player. I was 31, and um, Wayne Bennett asked me to, to be player and help John Dixon um, with the team as a bit of a mentor. So I did that, and um, so I was teaching during the day and then going straight to training of, of an afternoon. Teaching at a high school? Yeah, yeah Clevo McKillop, which is a Catholic um, high school, so I was teaching PE there. So teach during the day, shoot across to the Broncos, um, train at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, get home about 7.30, 8 o'clock or whatever, and then do it all again. A great group of great group of guys but um, long story short so I finished playing at the end of that year and John Dixon who was a great mentor to me from the Broncos he was at the Broncos for 10 years he was one of Wayne's um, you know um, coaching staff there he got a head coaching job with a second division club and he said listen I know you've played over there you know the lay of the land would you consider coming back for 12 months and help over there yes uh, in Wales okay a Celtic Crusaders he said would you consider coming back help me set up the club for 12 months um and I said, yeah, look, listen, it sounds like a great opportunity. So I went back there. Anyway, when I went back there, um, um, I, I got an email out of the blue by a guy from Halifax, which is in the north of England, who had German heritage. And he said, uh, he said, he said mate, uh, would you be interested in coming across to Estonia, of all places? Estonia? Yeah, Estonia. Do they have rugby league in Estonia? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did not know, know, know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I don't know how much they had played. But anyway, they said, would you consider... Um, and I said, well, give me the days. Obviously, I'm coaching. We, you know, we're, we're, we're quite busy. Anyway, it just so happened that we had a bye weekend and um, Germany were playing Estonia that weekend. So I flew to Estonia. Didn't know a single soul in the team. Flew to Estonia on the Friday. Played for them on the Saturday. Flew back to the UK on the Sunday. So I, I actually played. I played 5-8. And I hadn't played 5-8 since I was about 12 or 13. And I scored three tries. And I even kicked a couple of goals. And, <laughs> and we won. Uh, and then the Estonian team, they, they weren't that great, to be fair. But um, as I said, I don't know how much rugby league that actually played. But it was a really good experience. It was a really humbling experience. Because it was just guys who were just playing for the love of the sport. You know what I mean? And they're in countries that I didn't even know played rugby league. I, I didn't even know Germany had any idea about I knew they had rugby union uh, and league was only a very very minor sport there and they, they had one competition and, and a lot of it was sort of nine aside competition but um, you know they had some people who were really passionate about it so to go and spend a weekend with them away in a foreign country and um, you know they were really um, and, uh, I suppose um, giving of, of um, accepting me into the group and um, yeah it was, it, was a, it was a crazy couple of days um, it's a, you know, funny experience. You know, funny experience. You know, we went out for for a beer after the game, and there's a lot of Russians uh, in Estonia, and they're all carrying guns, and it was just crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. So, like, just, um, what, I'm like carrying guns on the street. Or? Yeah, just ca- carrying guns in the nightclubs and stuff like that. And there was like the security, um, um, you know, almost like the you know, the airport security in yeah in some places, and it, yeah, it was, it was a spin out. It was just crazy. It was a crazy couple of days. Um, but it was, it was really enjoyable because I just... I, I were you happy. like a... You don't strike me as, but were you like a party animal kind of person? Uh, you know what? When I was young, I did like a good time. I would like, not have yeah, picked... Would you have yeah, picked this guy? Yeah, I would never yeah, have picked you. No, I de- definitely did. Um, probably too much when I was young, like in the Broncos. Um, you know, were you known as a party animal? Yeah, when I was young, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a good crew of boys and... and Footy was different back then. This is the early 90s, you know, like you, you play hard, you, you go out and have, have a beer and 
um, yeah, that's what you did, you know what I mean? And it's totally different now. And probably as I, I got um, a bit older, towards the back end of, of playing footy, you know, um, you know how sore you get, like, you know, as you get old, you get sore, don't yeah. you know? I remember being 31, I'm playing with all these young blokes, I just, I'd be, I'd be that sore after a game, and I'd have to teach as well, so I wasn't full-time, because they were all full-time playing with the Broncos, and, and I was a teacher, and then playing on the weekends and training during the week, so, um, you know, I had to sort of um, be smarter about, you know, how I looked after myself and I was going to play footy and be competitive at it, because... You know, although I was 31, um, I still wanted to play as good a footy yeah, as absolutely. I could. And I was really, you know, I, I, one of my favourite years was that last year I played. I, I got players player in a really, really good team. I was 31. And what the year was that? Uh, 2005. So that, that that was like during, was that during their heyday? Like during the, yeah, like. Well, I had uh, 92 to 95 at the Broncos when I was a kid, so 17 through 21. Um, uh, I was playing reserve grade then when I was 17. Um, and, and in four years I just didn't progress you know and I, that was a lot of that was my own fault you know like um, probably got a bit ahead of myself you know as I said probably socialised a little bit too much you know I was at university at the time as well and um, I probably just had a lot of distractions that I, I couldn't you know like I, I, I wanted to be distracted that made sense yeah. um, but then when I went to the Raiders I went to Canberra um, in 97 and um, I was 23 by that stage so I was a little bit more mature and, and I wanted to play I, I just wanted to play first grade, so I did whatever I could to play first grade down there. And I was really lucky. I, I played on a really good side in 1998 um, with Dave Fern, who's now my assistant. He was one of our senior players. You know, Brad Clyde, Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart, Mel Meninga was our coach. Um, uh, Brett Mullins, all these legends. It was unreal to play with, uh, and and they were good guys. I had, I had a ball. I had a really good two years there playing footy. Um, played good footy. And then I had a year to go on my contract and um, London Broncos came calling from the Super League okay. and, and it was at the stage where I was I was um, turning 26 and um, I'd never made any real money out of rugby league, not that that was uh, an issue, but um, all I wanted to do was play first grade and I never had any grand ambitions of playing 100 first grade games or 200 first grade games, I, that never sort of entered my head, I, I, I wanted to play first grade to I suppose prove a point because um, not a lot of people from where I was, was from at the time had, had done that. And it took me a, a long while. I sort of kept at it because, you know, I didn't make my debut until I was 23, which is, you know, in some ways quite old um, at the time. But um, yeah, I, and I got an offer from the London Broncos, and it was it was triple the the, the contract I was on at the Raiders. So that was a quite, was that during Super League? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So the, the that the difference in money, like from say Super League in Europe. At the time, yeah, for, that was that for me, yeah, for me in particular, you know, um, it was a particularly good deal, and, and um, uh, London Broncos were owned by Richard Branson at the time, and um, you know the, the Virgin owner, yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Um, so they sort of were, were um, trying to put a real imprint there in London. They did for a couple of years, you know, made a Challenge Cup final. Um, you know, they, they were getting some really healthy crowds playing out of uh, the Stoop at Twickenham, uh, which is uh, where Harlequins, which is a famous rugby club, um, play out of over there. It's a really good experience. I, I really enjoyed it, but when I went over there, I knew that I was probably giving up my, my NRL dream. But that didn't sort of worry me because I thought, you know what, it's, I'd always wanted to play in the in the UK, and um, you know, I was earning good money. I was living in London, in West London, a beautiful spot, um, lived near, near um, the River Thames there, not far from Richmond. Um, yeah, it was it was great. Like, um, yeah, really enjoyed my time there. But I knew that by taking that contract up. When I was finishing that contract, I was going to be 27 or 28 or whatever it was, and 
Um, you know, I probably wouldn't get a look in back home, but that wasn't an issue. I ended up staying over there for, for a little while longer. What's it like? I have to wait two questions. First of all, I'm going to go backwards a little yeah. bit because I'm, I'm genuinely curious and I've got, I'm one of these people that find it hard to let go of stuff. <laughs> I need to ask you, have you got any good stories about your party days? <laughs> because I can't get over it. Like, he looks like he... That, that, I'm trying to think. And Alex, you know Alex? The, yeah, yeah. He, he was singing your praises. He goes, he's a very serious guy. This yeah. guy is the one. And now I'm... Yeah. Oh, I'm, no, I mean, I, like... Um, give us one. You've got to give us one. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, like, I certainly enjoyed myself. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know... I, did you get arrested? Did you... No, nah, no. Nah. Did you steal a car? <laughs> no, nah, nothing like that. No, no. Did you it, end it, up at, like, a bachelorette party nah, dressed as a policeman? No, nah, it was more... It was more... Um, oh, I used, I used to love a good dress-up on, um, you know, Mad Mondays. Oh, there, there we yeah, go. of course, yeah. And no, no, I had a couple of good Mad Mondays. Uh, one was uh, we ended up in Dublin uh, at the Temple Bar, which is a, a row of pubs there in, in London. That was 1999. And we had a really good couple of days there. Um, and at the time, the Gaelic... I think it's uh, Gaelic footy, um, the grand final was, I can't remember if it was Gaelic footy or hurling, but it was one of the big, it was like their NRL grand final, their AFL grand final, and there was a group of us guys from the Broncos on our trip away there, so that was a really good couple of days. Um, another time we had a, a great trip away to the Munich Beer Fest, um, yep. which um, we hired all these tents, like there's a big tent city there that all the Aussies and the Kiwis and South Africans go to. And we hired, um, you know, a group of us hired these, these tents. Um, we had a, a fantastic few days there in Hofbrau House and the Lohenbrau House. And uh, um, yeah, so there's some really good memories. And, um, like I said, when I was growing up at the Broncos, um, you trained really hard, like you trained exceptionally hard. They were probably ahead of the game. Um, and, you, and you played as hard as you could. Um, but then after that, you used to get um, free drinks at City Rowers, so I sort of didn't... <laughs> it's, it's closed now, City Rowers, but I sort of didn't miss that too much. But, um, yeah, they're a good time. Looking back now, you have a real laugh about it. Um, but, I, you know, in some ways, I I, um, I do have some regrets about my time at the Broncos. I, I don't think anywhere else. I get the Raiders, I was really committed, and I trained hard, and I think I was one of the fittest and strongest at the Raiders when I played there, and I, I certainly was at London Broncos. Um, even when I went back to um, the Clydesdales, my last year of playing footy in 05, I was, I was really committed and, and trained really hard. And, um, even though I was 31, I, I was one of the strongest and fittest, you know, in, in the in the group there. Um, the only time, yeah, as I said, you know, I, I probably had the, the world at my feet as a, as a kid there. I was sort of captain the Queen's under-19 side. So I was playing in teams with like Brad Thorne, who's a dual international, Wendell Salem, who's a dual international, um, you know, a whole host of other guys who, who really, um, um, you know, kicked on, won premierships, played test footy. And I'm not saying I was in that category by any means, but, um, you know, I, I was given the opportunity there and I probably um, took it a little bit for granted, if that made sense. And some other young boys, like Shane Webke was an example, who come there probably two years after me, he was the same age as me, so I actually got signed when I was younger in front of Shane, but, he come there and he was hungry, if that made sense. You yeah, I've read his book. Yeah, he was hungry. Book. And, um, you know... He's a committed dude, eh? Yeah, Brad Thorne was another one, you know. Like, they, they were hungry and they were committed and they're probably a little bit more mature than me at, at that particular time. They went on to have unbelievable... You know, Brad Thorne yeah. was like a freak. Um, and when Webke was, was the same, so... But I, I learned a few lessons out of that. I, I reckon if I hadn't gone through that sort of up and down a few years there at, at Brisbane, then I don't think I'd be the coach that I am today, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, what was I, 17 through to 21, which is, you know, your formative sort of years there, 
I've learned a lot um, of lessons and, and had some disappointments, had some great times too. You know, not many 17-year-olds back then played, played reserve grade, you know, and sat on the bench for first grade at the time, although I didn't get on. Um, you know, I was playing with, with and against test players back then, and the, reserve, the old reserve grade comp was a really tough competition, so, you know, you're playing men who, are, you know, play test footy. My first game was against Newcastle Knights, who had a bloke called Sam Stewart, who was the New Zealand test captain at the time, you know, and I remember running into him, he was probably in the early 30s at the time, you know, he was like a... And you were 17? Yeah, he was like What position were you playing? I played lock that day. Yeah. And um, it was a great experience. I mean, I remember being on cloud nine, you know, dad came down with my younger brother and um, although it wasn't first grade, it felt like, you know, first grade, if that meant, you know, for me, it was, it, was a, it was a good thing. Um, yeah, but like you grow from, from every opportunity. And uh, one thing I did do um, and stuck at when I was in the Broncos, I did my teaching degree. So I started my first year out of school and I finished it when I was 21. So even though I had four years there, and in some ways I probably I won't say wasted the opportunity, but I, I didn't reach my potential there. Um, I finished with a teaching degree, and that held me in really good stead um, because what it showed me, um, and it was hard because at times I was going to give it away. I was thinking, oh, this, you know, I don't yeah. want to go to uni today, or, you know, oh, I don't really want to put the time in and get this. Yeah, I was never like that with uni. I was always, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what I mean? 100% I know. And, what you and mean. so one thing that taught me was to be a bit resilient and, and be persistent. You, uni, I think that that's probably like. Aside from everything else and all the stuff you learn, I think it's probably, if there's one thing that, if, especially if you've got other things that you're doing, like I yeah. was coaching and training and competing as well, and um, make, like it makes you want to quit. Uni yeah. makes you want to quit, like if you're doing yeah, that type of stuff it, it, and you it, just it did, dig man. in. Yeah, and no, I did, mate, because I was doing um, six-week um, uh, block um, prac placements, you know, throughout my time there, and that was challenging because... Sometimes you'd have a Friday night footy game at um, the old ANZ Stadium up in Brizzy, you know, and I was playing reserve grade, so uh, it'd be uh, maybe a 5.30 kickoff or 6 o'clock kickoff or whatever, and I'd have to teach in the classroom until 3 o'clock as part of my practice, and then race off the other side of town to um, ANZ and get ready for the game. So there was times I thought, oh, you know what, I'm just going to roll with footy, but I, I'm, I'm, I was really proud of myself that I um, stuck at it and, and was uh, persistent with it because then off the back of that, I, I actually, as I grew a little bit older, I, I fell in love with learning, if that made sense. So yeah, when I was um, you know, finishing off my time playing for Hull KR, which is another club I played for in England, um, I started a um, uh, Masters of Education, which I finished in 2005. And um, uh, like, I just loved it. I craved it, you know. It was, it was outstanding because it was just a... Um, and having you away from footy, if that made sense. Absolutely. So I'd come home from training at Hull and I'd sit down from books and go through the different units and, and modules I had to do. Uh, and I did really well. Um, and I um, had a, got a really good GPA and this is how I got off of the job um, at USQ. So I did my masters externally through USQ while I was overseas. And um, I, I pretty much topped the class. You know, I had a really good um, uh, G, uh, grade point average. And, and from that, um, I got a job offer. Um, they said, listen, you know, would, would you consider coming back from the UK to um, you know, do the role? So, yeah, that's pretty much um, how I sort of got that opportunity through USQ. And um, I would never have had that opportunity if I hadn't finished off my batch yep. of teaching. And, you know, one thing leads to the other. Um, so, yeah, I was really proud that I did that. So, although, as I said, I, I didn't fulfil my potential at, at Brisbane um, from a playing footy point of view I, I, I was proud that I sort of stuck at um, something and I think um, 
yeah, as I said, I think it's something that's really helped me. How hard is it for you to move your family around in that? Because you got, because well, if your girl's 15, so yeah. she was around when you yeah. were in Europe? Yeah, yeah. So she was born, um, I actually had to leave her uh, when she was four weeks old and go to the UK because uh, I'd signed a contract with a, a quite a famous North, Northern England team called Hull KR. Um, Hull FC, the, the, their rivals, were just out here last week and played the Dragons in, in a trial game. But I was, I was the red and whites there, the black and whites. So um, I had to get over there to start my contract, so I had to leave her behind. Um, she was only four weeks old and then she came across there when she was three months. Oh, that's a, still a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It should look totally different, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, so we, we had a couple of years there playing there. I came back, as I said, to talk, teach at high school, play for the Broncos feeder team and, and help mentor those boys there. And then I had the job offer to go back to Wales, so I went back to Wales. And then, as I said, I finished my... Um, Masters of Education at university offered me a job, so I then came back from, from Wales to... Um, University of Southern Queensland, and then I had 14 months doing that. And what happened was the club that I helped set up got promoted, um, and because they, they they have relegation relegation promotion, yeah. so they won promotion. And then it was getting serious. You know what I mean? They were 12 months away, effectively, from you know, potentially being in Super League, which was which was their version of the M the NRL. You know, and they rang me and said, "Listen, it's getting serious here now. Like if we put in a good 12 months, we'll be in Super League the following year. So we want you to come back." So again, uh, they offered me a really good contract to go back there, and um, it was it was a a job that I, th I thought long about, but it was multiple skills role if that made sense. So in the UK, you got to understand, particularly the lower level clubs, they don't have the resources like the Rabbitohs do or the Broncos yeah. do or whatever else. So often you're doing multiple jobs. And um, so when I went back, I was doing a football manager's role, assistant coach role, and an S&C role. So it was three roles in the one. Now, yeah. it's crazy busy, but you know what? I reckon it helped me develop immensely as a coach. Because what it gave was, it gave me a couple of different perspectives. It gave me the perspective that, for instance, here, you know, like our football managers, Brock and, and, and Mark Allison, and, um, you know, gave me perspective on you know the logistical side of of, of sport, um, strength and conditioning guys. So we've got Jared Wade and Cater Rutherford here who are very good. But it gave me I had to plan strength programs. I had to go and seek out people to help me develop those strength programs. So I, I met like a guy called Liam Kildall from from University of Swansea there, and, and he helped sort of um, you know me put some programs together. But again. Okay, looking at our sport, what's specific to our sport inside the gym, and then obviously the coaching point of view. Well, um, I already had some some experience in doing that, but it was a multi-layered role, which uh, really I suppose exposed me to some different parts of the game. So it gave me a really broad understanding. So I was pretty fortunate from that regard. So on that, as a coach, what 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 are some? I was starting with an assistant coach. So what are the qualities you think that maybe made you and can make someone a great assistant coach? Because just on, on me and just my, my short relationship I've had with you guys and seeing other assistant coaches and working with other people. Um, the assistant coach is a real pivotal role. It's not like, and I'm not, you know, to any assistant coach out there, I'm saying it's not. Um, what a lot of people think it's like the gopher of the, of the coach. It's not at all. And I, I never thought it was. But it's like, it's a very pivotal role because you're the guy that people go to. You're the guy doing a lot of the legwork, yeah. um, and the head coach has to delegate and do. But how, what makes a great assistant coach? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So, uh, so one is um, 
um, trust. You know, so you, you need to, um, you know, um, uh, I suppose build trust in your head coach. You know, to, de to delegate to you. You know what I mean? Like I think all head coaches. Um, you know, should delegate, need to delegate different roles. So you need to earn the trust of the head coach. So that's that's the first thing. You need to, the second thing is you need to disagree and commit, if that makes sense. It's a good yeah. little saying I got out of uh, one of the um, American sporting clubs I, I went to. And effectively what it means is you don't have to necessarily agree with the coach. You know, so you, you need to challenge the head coach and you need to give your opinion. Um, but you know what, at the end of the day, the head coach makes the final decision. So when the head coach makes that final decision, you might have disagreed with it. You may have given your opinion, but you need to commit to whatever the decision the head coach has, has made. And I think that makes a good assistant coach as well. I think thirdly, uh, assistant coach is really key in your, in your club because um, they've almost um, got, uh, I suppose, that rapport with, with the playing group, if that makes sense. You know, look, a lot of players are sort of comfortable coming and, and sharing concerns or, or um, trying to use the assistant coaches to get better as players, you know what I mean? Um, often... You know, players will see the head coach as the big bad boss in, in some ways, and, and it's not like that in every environment, but I think the assistant's got a really key role to, to play in, in building positive relationships between the, the, the staff and, and, um, and the playing group. So there's some really key things. I think the other one is, um, and it's in whatever industry, um, work ethic. If you don't have a work, if you think you just want, like I see a lot of ex-players, a lot of ex-elite players, I'm sure you guys see it in your sport as well. Every I think, day. I think, I know, I know footy, I know footy and I was a good footy player, so I'm going to be a good coach because I know footy. But uh, there's a couple of things that come with that. Um, if you're not thorough with, with what you do and, and you don't have a work ethic, you're not going to make it as an assistant coach because um, it's long hours and the devil's in the detail, so to speak. So you know, you've got to watch a lot of vision. You've got to review a lot of training sessions. You've got to be real well planned. And it's not what you know, it's what the players know, if that makes sense. Yeah, tell Yeah. If you know, I always think of coaching like this as like, if I know 10 units, 10 units of football, and you know 12, but my players, I can get them to know eight, and you can only get yours to know three. Who cares what you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not what you know. And I reckon there's a lot of, um, I've done a lot of um, research on uh, in EPL clubs, you know, English Premier League clubs, and they, for a long time, uh, went down the route of hiring excellent players as their managers. And they were good, they were good, you know, very elite players, but they didn't know how to manage people, they didn't know how to plan, they didn't know how to review, they didn't know how to give feedback. Um, because when you're a player, if, you, if I'm a senior player and I say something to the rest of the group, the, the players will listen. But if you're an assistant coach and you don't know how to help the player, the players will stop listening, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, like, I think, um, you yeah, know, I see a lot of... Uh, um, players come to the role or ex-players come to the role thinking, you know, oh, it's great to be involved. You know, we train for an hour on the field and, you know, they do their gym and then we're home by lunch. It's not like that. You know, like the staff here, um, like I'm in every day. I leave home every day, quarter to five, five o'clock at the latest. I'm here by 5.30 at the very latest. Well, Peter Janel and Dave Ferner, who my assistants, they're coming in, if not similar time, 15, 20 minutes later than me. And then we all live here about, you know, six o'clock, 6.30 at night time, you know what I mean? So they're long days, you, you, there's a lot of detail on what you've got to do, but that's, you know, that's what you've got to do to be successful. And I've had pretty good mentors along the way, you know, like Bellyache and, and the crew of guys I worked with down at, at the Storm were, um, had an incredible work ethic, but they were very thorough, so it wasn't 
work for work's sake. It was, you know, very detailed. Listen, um, yes, yeah, I was really lucky that I've had some good mentors. What makes a good head coach a great head coach? Um, well, that's a difficult one for me to, to, to answer, you know. But you've had some good ones. I've had some really good ones. I'm sure yeah. you've had bad ones. We don't have to name yeah. it. But no, well, I'll, you know, <laughs> so, so Craig Bellamy, I mean, everyone obviously knows who Belayak is. Um, so the things I saw in him were, were um, there's a couple of things. One, he had a terrific work ethic. Like, um, he's very thorough. Like, he... Um, you talk about being detailed, very detailed, particularly watching the opposition, uh, what, what trends are going to uh, come uh, on the weekend. I know he had Agreed. Pattern recognition. Yeah, pattern recognition, recognition yeah, trends. Yeah. yeah, looking at trends. He's very, very um, thorough with, with, with his trends. But you know what? He cared. And I'll, just, I'll show you a little example. And, and I remember this. And, um, you know, you, I'm sure you've had it with some bosses that, you know, or coaches that have just... They've, um, lit a flame in you that you, you want to do you want you want to go that extra mile they, in Amer- in business world in America they call it the discretionary effort you know there's that 10% or 15% discretionary effort you know and I was, uh, you know Bella and it can go the other way and too. it can go the other way and, and I'll give an example so, so just when my kids have been sick and, and say for instance the race off from work there was two times I had to do that um, one we were playing I was with the storm we played Penrith at Penrith and we're sitting in a hotel on Tuesday morning we played a Monday night down there I get a phone call from um, a, a, a babysitter who used to look after the kids um, um, of the morning, and um, my middle girl um, had had, um, had a fit, and you know I'm thinking shit, you know I got I got to get back to Melbourne, so you know the club's right. I got me on the next flight. I get back there. She's in hospital, and everything was okay in the end, but you know it gives you a big fright. Well. Um, that night, you know, Bella gives you a call. Is how is everything? You know, make sure you take as as, you know, as long a time off that you need. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's your priority. There's another time I was at training and uh, was with the NRL team, um, coming into a big semi-final that weekend. And, and my other daughter had uh, fainted at school, and um, I got a phone call said, "Listen, she's fainted at school. She had to go and do some blood tests." And, um, her uh, white blood cell uh, level was quite high, so, oh. so we had to get some more tests. Well, that I sort of, you know, you know as you do, you know, yeah, yeah. You just even fright. when you said it then, I yeah, just said, yeah, shit, you know, well, this is serious. So, who rings that, you know, that night, you know, just say, how is everything? What do you need? You know, and everything was, you know, very fortunate. Everything was 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 fine. You know, what I mean, it was just a virus, and and but they just needed to do some extra testing because the the, the cell care. And that, that, that's, that sort of stuck out to me. And Frank Benisi, who was the, the director of football down there, he was very similar. You know, like, I mean, they, they cared about you as a person first. And I reckon one of the lessons I've learned as a coach is, you know, it's not what you know. You know, it's not what I know about X's and O's. Um, obviously, I need to produce a team that's competitive with their performances. And in a lot of ways, that's judged on wins and losses, you know. And I understand that. That's the nature of, of professional sport. But, um, you know, building positive relationships with players, um, developing players to become better players, um, and having a, a, an effective game model, they're, they're a couple of things. But relationship with the players, for me, is, is at the top of the list. Um, you know, and all the research and all the professional development I've done, you know, it's sort of... Um, if you don't, if you don't um, build positive relationships with the players and your other staff, well, they're not going to have that discretionary effort that's required. And, and um, you know, you look at, um, I went to Google recently in, in New York and spent um, a day there. And um, um, the workers there all kept telling me, come back to the same point, um, we'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. If it means working back later, whatever, because Google after so well, like the the, the employees there, um, and it's a big multinational company as you're aware, it's it's massive. But 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 the the, the 
company makes them so um, feel so valued that they want to, they'll, they'll work the extra mile. They'll work the extra few hours because you know they get fed really well. And, you know, there's a gym there that they can use, and there's all these different things that look after the well-being and the welfare of the of the employees. So, uh, for me, relationships are uh, you know first and foremost, and um, having a, a positive relationship is a real key. And I think I'll say one other thing about this. The other thing is that I think you talk about what's a, an effective head coach. In my research, in my professional development, the very, very best head coaches, and, and, and Balak's one of these guys, they serve the players, not the other way around. Very good. And, That's... and um, I think head coaches who become arrogant or head coaches who don't last in the, in the, in the role for too long or head coaches who um, put their ego first aren't serving the, uh, aren't serving the, the, the players. At the end of the day, people come to watch the South Sydney Rabbitohs not because of, of me. Um, they come to watch because of the 13 heroes we put out on or the 17 heroes we put out on the field every single week. Now, of course, my job is to prepare them the best as possible, but um, my job is to serve them. You know, my job is to, to give them the best environment over there that we can to prepare as best we can. Um, and there's going to be some challenging days. There's no doubt about that. I understand that. I've been around footy for a long time. Um, that's my job. I'm there to serve them, and um, you know that's one thing that you talk about. What, you know, what the very best do. I saw that with with Craig at the Storm. I saw I, I saw it the last few years with Kevin Walters at Queensland Origin level. You know, um, and yeah, I've, as I said, I've had some good mentors and taken away some really key things. Well, I find it um, interesting that in all the stuff then that you spoke, and I agree, and I, I, I agree, but I find it interesting that in all the stuff that we just spoke about then. I could be mistaken, maybe, but football you barely mentioned. Mm. Like football, like because I mean, it's a given that you have to have like yeah. a technical knowledge. You're yeah. not going to get. My mum has all those qualities, yeah. but she's not going to be a rugby league coach. But um, I find it interesting that the the quality that you were talking about was not the technical knowledge, yeah. was not all of the other stuff. It was based around people management and your ability to deal with people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to paraphrase you. Yeah. But um, one of the questions then. I suppose, Dave. Do you have anything on that? Because I mean, like you're, you know, we, I kind of want to segue into teaching and whatnot. Oh no, just everything around that. It's, it's. I agree with Fab. Like the essence of it is around relationships. Yeah. Making sure that you know your staff are happy. Yeah. I manage a, a wicked team, and everything you said, and around even around the assistant coach and their role being clear around yours. So like it actually, um, in terms of organizational management whether it's at a ceo level or whatever the it, the, the same structure is cascading it's really interesting yeah. that seeing that in relation to rugby league and how you manage a team of 13 players which is the same as yeah. 13 staff well like, yeah you well, have more even because yeah, you've got more, coaches more, and yeah, staff yeah, yeah, and yeah. Staff well, we got 36 full-time players and, and the plus the staff said probably like 45 people yeah probably. plus yeah um do you guys have you guys heard of todd sampson at all um, no. Todd's done a couple of documentaries which the listeners would be worth um, Todd a look. Simpson yeah so he's on some of you guys might have heard of um, the Gruen um, yep. project which is on ABC he's one of the guys who sits at the end of the desk okay he used to be the CEO of, of Leo Burnett um, advertising agency right he's now on the board of Fairfax um, and Qantas well, you know, now that you say, yeah, 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 you probably know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of yeah. him. Like and I, the documentaries yeah. he's done. He actually did one. Uh, he trained as a UFC fighter. 
Um, you, you may have seen it. Yeah, you, know, I, I you should have a look. Vaguely, at it. Yeah. you know what so, I mean. So, the um, Body Hack um, um, is one of the, the series. Um, Rewire my brains. And yeah, 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 yeah. A few different things. But it actually trains you to see five for two weeks and how to fight. Uh, had his uh, jaw broken. Yeah, I saw him. I yeah. saw that. And anyway, um, he's really. Don't ever do that. No, it's with David. No. <laughs> he's actually a really interesting character. So you know what? Uh, and I'm like this. Um, as I sort of. Um, a little bit older, I sort of got a bit bolder. I just contacted him out of the blue. I found his email address through a, through a, a, um, a friend of mine, and um, he emailed him and said, "G'day, Todd, Anthony Seabold. You've just got the head coaching role at Rabbitohs. Really admire what you do. Um, I love creative people. Can I catch up for a coffee?" So just before Christmas, he had a bit of time, and I went and caught up with him in Bondi. And um, man, I spent about four or five hours with him. He's just a really creative guy. Just and like he knows nothing about footy, so mate, I don't know how I can help you. I said, "You can help me a lot, mate." You know what I mean? Um, let me talk more about it and anyway so I went and met him and, and long story short we had an unbelievable conversation for about four or five hours and uh, there was there was uh, one thing I took away when he got the job as the CEO of Leo Burnett they're a big American company and um, uh, they sort of put him up in front of the all the, the big wings over there and the Stacey was telling me and um, they said okay what's important to you Todd and he, he told me he said um, well, in this order, uh, people, product, and profit. They're the three key things that I'm going to bring to the CEO role in Australasia. And they went, okay. Um, how about you just move number three up three to number one? Yeah. Flip <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole and, thing and, around. Yeah, That's what we want. And, and move uh, every, every, um, every one down. And he said, well, if you want me to do that, you've got the wrong person. Um, and so going back to, you know, I was talking before about relationships and that, you know, even at that your highest end business world he was all about people and he challenged me something that I, I went away and did he challenged me he said for all your he said how many players you got in your group and I said 36 he said um, if I said now if I pulled out a pen and paper because I had notes and I'm scribbling they said if, if I pulled out a pen and paper there could you write down the ignition or the purpose or the motivation of every one of your players in your squad and I went he put me on he put me right on the spot and I said shit mate I said um, I said I reckon I'd probably be really confident for about 10 blocks. Which is good, man. Yeah. No. Do you even have that? Yeah. But honestly, to have that for 10 people, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, no, I thought, I thought out of the 36 hours, yeah. you know, and he said, well, you've got 26 blokes who you work with, who you influence, who you um, need performing at their best for you that you need to get to know better. I mean, shit, mate. You know, like, he sort of, he put me on, on the back foot a little bit. So, one of the first things I did after that, I... I um, I met with every player and, and we had a, I already had planned to meet every player with what I call an IPP, which is an individual performance plan. Uh, got the idea through the All Blacks and it's a really effective way to um, you know, give feedback and, and so on. But anyway, part of that review was I asked three questions. What's your purpose slash ignition slash motivation to play you know, rugby league? Um, what's going to be a challenge for you and what can I do for you as a coach? You know, so how can I serve you for, for you to get better? And that were the three questions I asked. And it was one of the most um, productive. It, it took me a week to get through all 36, as you'd appreciate, because we're training as well, and, and we had our own, you know, um, video reviews and whatever else. But it took me a week to do, to do all, all 36 players. But it was the, it's been the best thing that I've done so far because I've got to know what you know, Fab, what your motivation is, what's going to be a challenge for you this year, and then what you need from me. And for a lot of the guys. It was, I just want you to be honest and give me feedback. That's what I need from you. You know what I mean? Don't beat around the bush. Just give, give me feedback. You know? And I won't go on what the motivations were or, or, or um, what the challenges were, but 
it was a it was a fascinating insight. And, and as I said, Todd poked me um, and said, "Well, you've got 26 boys, mm. you know, who you who you need to know better." So I spent a lot of time, um, you know, investing in relationships. And I know that's not football. And people, you know, who watch this who are Rabbitoh supporters, they they're going to know. Well, what are you going to do from a footy point of view? Well, you know, we've Worked a lot on the X's and O's. I, I think, I think it's a given. That, you, that's a given. You know how to play. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a given, mate. You know, and my experiences of having worked with Melbourne Storm, um, you know, and the players and, and the coaching group they've got there. My experiences of working with the Queensland Origin side for the last two years, you know, with Kevin Walters and, and the playing group they've got there. Um, you know, I know footy, but me knowing footy and and being able to coach footy is not, um, um, you know, going to give us um, a better season. But if I know the players a little bit better and know what um, motivates them individually and what challenges they've got and um, what they need from me and how I can serve them, then we're more of a chance of, of um, doing better things this year, in my opinion, in any case. You know what I see, like, with, like, and I always talk about this with people with coaching or whatnot, like with relationships, it's like we, we work in a very one-to-one sport. Yeah. And so you have that... You're, you're very close with that with that particular person. Some people aren't, and I don't. I don't even know how they coach. But then you see people like they're in marriages, don't even know like what their partner yeah. like like you know what their partner likes to eat. You know yeah. what I mean? And then I think like uh, if you take that and expand it further, you know, or, or narrow it down, whichever way you want to look at it. So like how many people in any relationship? You're trying to do something together, yeah. whether you're working together, like sitting side by side, whether you're with your partner, whatever, and you don't even understand what motivates them, where they want to go, what they want to do. And then I think sometimes if you've got someone in your life and they just want to, I don't know, man, whatever, they just want to work 20 hours a week, yeah. et cetera, da, and you're just pushing them to get a, a job and to climb the corporate ladder, and they're like, dude, I don't, I, yeah, I don't want to do that. You're never going to be happy you know what yeah. I mean and if you're not happy you're not going to perform nah but that's, that's the thing um, with as far as organisational psychology so to speak or organisational management what are the similarities that you find if any with um, an education structure academia etc um, and the football like a football team structure yeah. and what would you do this with like what would you could you interchange or do you find um, do you find similarities do you think you know, could one learn from the other? Certainly, um, you can find similarities. There's no doubt about that. Like as far as organisational structure and that's concerned, um, you know, we have. A, you know, you're talking about org charts specifically, and 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 um, you know, the, the different roles and how they sort of, um, I suppose, um, uh, you know, combine with each other and, and who answers to who. Um, look, you know, I think, um, you know, effectively. Um, We've got a model that's probably really similar to American sports here, and um, at South or in the NRL? At South, yeah. Um, insofar as we have a general manager of football, and we have a CEO, and the CEO looks after the commercial arm of the club. So you think about sponsorships, memberships, um, you know, marketing, you know, anything to do from from uh, I suppose a um, you know an income stream or a, or a marketing stream. You know, the general manager of football has got a very different role. Um, his role is to oversee the head coach, and his role is to, uh, um, I suppose, you know, look after salary cap, look after budgets, look after um, rosters, and now obviously in consultation with the head coach. So I suppose in, in, in many ways, um, 
you know, I see a lot of similarities, you know, from uh, university level and, 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 and the organisational structure of that, you know, like you've got your chancellors and vice-chancellors and, and, you know, your senior lecturers and, and so on. Um, but effectively, the, the head coach in, in my role um, looks after, um, you know, every, everybody down, you know, so from the assistant coaches, the skills coaches, uh, the head of performance, um, you know, the medical staff, um, you know, they're all, all sort of you know, in, in, in my umbrella, if that makes sense. So um, I report to the general manager, and um, I think uh, the structure that we've got here is very effective. I think it's... Um, yeah, it's very similar to, the, as I said, um, to some of the American clubs, but the AFL clubs effectively have this type of structure. I uh, certainly know from my experience at Melbourne Storm, they do as well. And what it allows me to do, and this is where I'm sort of going with a long-winded story, what it allows me to do is focus um, on the main thing. So Pat Riley, the old basketball coach from, from, the, UK, from the USA, and, yeah. and he coached a number of sides there, he had a little saying, uh, and, and it's... Um, as a head coach, uh, keep the main thing the main thing. So what he means is, um, you know, my focus or my priority should be on uh, coaching the team, building relationships with the players, um, building rapport with the assistant coaches and challenging the assistant coaches and, and, and the staff. And my job's not to go and, um, you know, to a business meeting. You know, my job's not to go and do marketing for the club. My job's not to to even um, sit in on every single salary cap meeting or recruitment meeting or sitting down with player managers. You know, the general manager is entrusted to do that, and um, you know then um, you know I have updates. You know because if I'm spending all my time away from the playing group and away from the staff, we're not gonna you know we're not gonna grow as as a group. And um, you know so so that's one thing that I think this this you know you talk about um, you know um, organisational structure and, and so on and, and uh, you know I'm really comfortable and really happy that we've got this structure in place because what it does do it allows me to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. How important is it to have the ability and the faith and confidence in your people around you to be able to delegate? Yeah I'm really fortunate so I've got two uh, very uh, experienced assistant coaches so David Ferner who was an ex-elite player. I played with him at the Raiders, played for Australia. But Dave, um, when he finished playing footy, actually came back and he did an apprenticeship. You know, he did his apprenticeship, you know, coaching lower grades at the Raiders and eventually became head coach there. He's been an assistant coach at the Cowboys, assistant coach at Australia. And, um, you know, he's now an assistant coach. So I've got a really good rapport with Dave. I, I, I you know, really trust him. Um, he's a good you know, dude. Yeah, you, you know Dave, you know. Yeah. Really trust him in, in, in what he does. He's got a really good rapport with... Um, the, the players, uh, and he's been through the good times and the bad times, you know what I mean? So he's very experienced, and um, one thing you can't do because you'll drive yourself mad is get too high when you have a win, whether as an assistant coach or head coach, yeah. or get too low when you have a loss, because if you do that, you're just going to be emotionally a, a wreck, as you guys would know, you know? Man, it's funny you say that. One of the things that we, we implemented with... with uh, and I don't know like where we exactly learnt the stuff from. I mean, working with guys like yourselves, like working with other coaches and that. But one of the things we, we try and do is like, you know, when you have your warm-ups, you have your everything that you have. So we control what we can control. I can't control if it's going to snow in Bulgaria yeah, if we're there. So we control everything you can control. And I can't control the outcome. But I can control whether or not post-fight who we have in the room to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, we sit down, have a feed, do whatever we're going to do with the same people. And I say this with Rob and Rob, now that he's a little bit older, he gets, try and be with the same people doing the same thing you would be doing if you lost. Because 
like what you say, I think about, you know, Dave Furner and other people that have been around is like, they've won and they've lost. Yeah. And if, and, and any sport, but I think collision sports, uh, combat sports, it's very similar. It's like, uh, if you're not prepared, Mark Hunt said this, I don't know if you know who yeah, Mark yeah, Hunt is. And uh, someone I looked, I've always looked up to him, but he said a real simple, it's like, Scary man. <laughs> yeah, he is. And he said, if you're, and I'm paraphrasing, so don't bash me if you hear this. <laughs> you know, he goes, um, if, you're, if you can't take an ass whooping, then you shouldn't be in this sport. Yeah. And it's, it's crude, but it's 100% true. Like, so we, we try and, with, with Rob and that, we try not to celebrate with people that aren't going to be yeah. there when we he lose, loses. Because yeah. he will lose. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's, it's good meant something to have, you know. Um, and that's why it's important to have guys like Dave. And then the other guy I was going to mention is Peter Jennell. Uh, Pete's, um, you know, early 50s. He's coached his own Super League team. He's been an assistant um, with the Kangaroos. Um, <coughs> assistant West Tigers with Tim Sheen. He's been assistant uh, Paramount with Brad Arthur. He's been assistant at Cronulla. So he's been, you know, he's, he's been through the ups and the downs and so on. So to have really, two really experienced guys there is really important. And then we've got a, a young guy called Willie Peters who's a school development coach, a, an old um, uh, Rabbitohs um, player. And, um, you know, he's a bit younger and he's sort of uh, got a you know, closer age to the players, you know, and he's, um, you know, he's a, a really passionate sort of a Rabbitohs man. So, uh, you know, the, the, the immediate... Uh, coaching staff um, below me uh, uh, have got you know different strengths and, and um, you know, different personalities, which which is really important. You know that diversity, and, and I trust you know I can trust uh, them to, to to get what I think um, needs to be done. You know I can delegate to them, and they'll disagree at times. There's no doubt about that, but they commit. You know I keep coming back. You know disagree and commit. You know, that's what you want from assistant coaches. Um, you know uh, sometimes they'll agree, but. Um, you've got to have that mentality. Listen, throw all your opinions out there, um, but at the end of the day, the ultimate decision is going to come back yeah, to you. You're going to have to have that. Yeah. That. What? How? Um. Now, what are we looking at? We're in the pre-season, finishing yeah. up pre-season. Yeah, pretty much. Like uh, last week was our first practice um, model, I'll call it, or in-season model. So um, we played Wigan, which uh, one of the big uh, Glimmer English teams last week. Um, yeah, we had a good win with, with um, you know, a whole lot of um, younger players playing. That we had only had four guys who played more than 50 games, so it's a pretty young squad, uh, filled with plenty of potential. But it's just really um, enjoyable to see them go out there and try and transfer what we've been doing in practice. So that was really good. Um, yeah, but I talk about you know um, I'm a big believer in um, you know routines and. and um, you know, what you do on the field, uh, sorry, what you do at, on the training paddock transfers in the field. So last week, we had our first week where we prepared as if it was in season because we wanted to get some feedback from the senior players. We wanted to get some feedback from, um, you know, different, um, you know, staff members on, on what's good about the week, what, what can we improve because, you know, we don't want to jump into round one and then um, throw that week at the boys for the first time and it, it sort of goes, you know, it doesn't go to plan or it's a little bit... You know, a bit clunky and, and the preparation's not not where it needs to be so we've had a really good practice last week uh, we're having a, a really good practice this week of an in-season model leading into our Dragons Charity Shield game and then um, um, at the end of this two-week block we'll review the, the last two weeks and um, you know if we may if we need to make some uh, minor changes leading into round one as far as 
you will just change that meeting here or change that field session time to here or you know the, the little bits and pieces that go into the detail within the program we can manipulate if, if need be but um, we wanted to have this two weeks as, as like a practice run for for round one if that makes sense how how hard how hard is it to come back from say for example you didn't have the best season last year yeah but I, but i ask this in, in this way would you rather inherit the team off the back of a bad season or with the pressure of a great season you know what i haven't thought about that too much i mean um it, it was it was it was a challenging year last year there's no doubt about about that um you know i really felt for for, for madge um you know because uh, he invested six years at the club and, and he, yeah. it's not like he's coaching any less like yeah. he's just trying as hard as he could exactly mate you know great work ethic and um, you know, we were all working really hard here. Um, but for, for, for whatever, you know, one reason or another, you know, things just did, did, That's a game. Yeah, yeah. Did, didn't uh, go well uh, for the club last year. And, um, yeah, would I rather inherit the team off the back of a tough season or, or at the very top? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Because there's I, a lot I, of pressure. Yeah, well, I see yeah. the Roosters, you know, the Roosters have gone out and recruited some big time players, you know, Tedesco, Cronk, you know, there's enormous pressure on them as a club because effectively they've. Uh, you know, um, they've gone out and signed two of the best players in their position, almost. Um, adding them to a team that finished second in the, in the season proper last year, you know. So there's a lot of pressure on them. If the reality is for us, um, you know, I don't think anyone's really tipped us to be in the top eight. Um, you know, some people even tipped us uh, to be down towards the bottom of the table. Um, in this coming season? Yeah, for this coming season. Um, but the reality of it is, a couple of years ago, the Rabbitohs were, were, were high flying and um, it was the team everyone wanted to beat. And they were a bit of the glamour team, I suppose, in some ways, because the, you know, the profile of the club's enormous. You know, it wasn't until I sort of got in this role that you know, I knew the, the profile of the club here, um, you know, in, in a real, in real sense. But um, we're the hunters now, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like we, we've got to go and hunt the... The, the top eight, you know, the top ten teams, because the reality of it is, as a club, we finished twelfth two years in a row. You know, so if we keep doing, if we had kept doing the same things as a club, well, um, you know, that's 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 sort of crazy. You know, so we've had to make some changes. There hasn't been massive changes with their roster. You know, we brought in Dan Gay guy, and you know, Greg Inglis obviously is going to be back on the park. How big of an impact are those two? Yeah, big. Yeah, big. Yeah. Dane's at the top of his game, you know, he played for Australia in the World Cup, he managed a series for the Origin team, I've worked with him very closely there, he is a hell of a good professional, you know, um, and he's got an energy about him, you know, some people got energy about him, he's got an energy, so he's got a presence about him, he's got energy, and, and so he's not an energy sapper, he's an energy giver, and um, I like energy givers in our group because... Um, Probably what Alex Mate. said before, I'm pretty serious these days. It used to be a bit of fun, <laughs> but um, you know, we, we want we want energy givers, you know, in our group, they're, they're, and that's what he gives. And Greg's just, you know, um, his presence in the group is 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 um, you know, can't be underestimated. You know, he when he's when he's playing footy, um, when he plays at his best, like he's in the, in the top, you know, two three players in, in rugby league. You know, so um, yeah, he's an icon of our game. So. You know the confidence that um, the players get around him, and it's funny. You know, I, re I remember um, I went for a coffee with the Origin side this year. You know, um, you know get a really good relationship with Cooper Cronk, and we, we played um, the Storm in Perth. So we flew back on the um, you know the red eye flight to Brisbane because we we're going into the Origin camp. The when was this? Uh, this is last year. 
Yeah, so Greg was injured round one, and Greg obviously normally is an Origin team. Anyway, we flew back. Um, we caught a, a cab from the airport to our hotel, checked in, and the rest of the team and the staff weren't coming in until five o'clock that evening. But we had to catch the red eye from Perth to get back there in time. Anyway, so we went for a coffee, and, and I remember Coop saying, I still remember this, he said, uh, he says, it's going to be strange not having um, Big Greggy in the team, you know? And I said, what, what do you mean? You know, of course it is from a footy point of view. I said, well, what, do you, what do you mean? He said, well, it's just his presence. He said, I know that, um, you know, in the change room before a game, and I look across and I see Greg there, yeah. I know that even if we're down by six <laughs> points or down by eight points, you know, he can do something that the other players can't do, and he's... he's, he's you know, you've seen and you're glad you're not playing going, against oh, him too. Yeah. What he's doing a training is crazy, you know. Um, he's 112 kilos, six foot three or four, whatever he is, and, and can run, you know what I mean? Um, he, but like Coops just sort of alluded to the fact that when you, when he's out there, you, you, even if you're down, you know you're a chance, you know, because you you, the special players, you know, like your Slaters and, and, your, and your GIs, um, you know, probably Andrew Johns in the past, you know, Jonathan Thurston, those sort of guys. Um, and we didn't have JT in that game either. Um, but yeah, just Cooper singled out Greg and, and what his presence does uh, for him and, and the confidence of the group. And I thought it probably made a bit of sense to me because you know, I was thinking about our situation here at the time. We, we, were, we had a few good wins, we pushed the storm really hard, but we just didn't, you know, like Greg's an X factor that not many teams have got. So, um, you know, it's not going to maybe they're putting all the pressure on him for us to, to do well no no year, of course not do you, do you know what I mean like it, when an elite player like Cooper Cronkin who got that much respect for sort of says that about someone thinking gosh you know like that you know I didn't realise how much confidence he gives even you very very elite players you know what I mean so uh, and we got wiped out in that first origin game you know what I mean we made some changes and some young guys come in but um, it's interesting that, that Coop sort of said that yeah so I, the, one of the things that, that I noticed was uh, when we went Last year, Rob and I yeah. went away. That was a good speech, but Rob, it resulted in like one of the worst losses. <laughs> yeah. And just, we'll never have Rob on there again, it was, obviously. It was a challenging night, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was, they were outstanding. They were, they, they were, yeah, they were through the roof. But yeah, it was really challenging. But one of the things I noticed was um, like the guys in the team were, they, there's, there's a good, there was still a good um, feel in the team yeah. leading into it. and. Yeah. And uh, even afterwards, like uh, speaking to the guys in that, they, they were... The, the, the group here is really a, a really humble, hard-working group. I, I really, even last year, it was a challenging year. You know, it, was, it was a shit of a year because we, we weren't winning as many games and we, as we wanted. And we weren't performing like we wanted to and uh, certainly um, not how we, you know, had, um, what we had planned to, you know. But I'll tell you one thing about the group that's here and that I've inherited is that the work ethic of the players is, is, is outstanding and, um, you know, the compliance of, of the group, that, you know, that they're, not a, they're not a whingy group. They weren't a whingy group. You would have seen that, you know. Like, Mate, you know what I, was, what, what I really admired? That it did not spiral out of control. Maybe it did behind closed doors, but I was, like, close enough yeah. to the action that, like, you... No, it, it, it didn't spiral out of control behind closed But it could easily, it could, surely. It could easily, because when you're, when you're having a challenging time, when you lose a game like that, it's really easy to, you know, start pointing your fingers. And yeah, but in, in general, like even in the season, like when, because I, I was there while yeah. it was pretty bad. Yeah. And because when it's good, everyone's good. Yeah, of course. That, that's, that's easy. Like, yeah. you know, Rob's got the title right now and... He's won eight fights in a row, yeah. and 
we're, we're all geniuses yeah, and good. everyone's awesome. Yeah. It's like, no, and I don't care for us, but for him, obviously, it's going to be the hardest thing. The, it, like, whatever you guys were doing, which uh, my next question is going to be, what were you doing to not let that get toxic? Yeah. Not let it get totally out of control. I'm sure it wasn't all um, unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, ch it's challenging, you know, when, when you're... When your group's not performing, um, yeah, like you want the group to, to, to perform, uh, it could be challenging. I think there's a couple of things. Last year, um, the reality of it was we um, um, effectively had nine players, 21 or younger, play for the team. You know, which is like everyone talks about Newcastle Knights and how young they were, and they finished three wooden spoons in a row. Well, we had we had a very similar age group. You know, we just had a bit more profile than guys like Sam and, um, you know, Tom and George and, and a few of the other guys. Obviously, Greg was injured and Adam Reynolds. But um, we had a really young group. So while, while it didn't spoil out of control, a lot of those younger boys um, were um, really passionate about representing the Bunnies, if that made sense. Yep. And your Cam Murray's, your Tyra Fomona's, your Rob Jennings, your Campbell Graham. Campbell was going to school at... Um, 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 I can't remember if it was Marcelin or um, or Patron, but he was going to school during the uh, during the day, finishing lunchtime on a Friday and playing Friday night footy at the SCG and stuff it's like crazy, that. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. mate. You know, like so you don't think they want to go out and represent the bunnies? Mate, they're, they're passionate about the bunnies. So, so we had a really good young group. I didn't see the work ethic of the group drop off. If I had seen the work ethic of the group, I think, oh shit, we're doing here. But you have a look at the, the last game that we played against Parramatta last year. And they finished top four. We, we, we'd been beaten by 60 the week before. Um, we had nine regular players out for the last game. Damian Cook, who's a hooker, played fullback. That, look, Luke Kelly had only played one game while he was halfback. Was that the Melbourne game you're talking about? We, well, yeah. Because that, that Melbourne game was like, I, I, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me to play. Yeah, no, Honestly, no, so we were running out of players. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah, no. but, but the next week we, we battled to put a team together. And, and what I will say is, um, we lost 22-18, probably the better side against Parramatta on the night, and they were a top four team, you know, that they, um, they, you know, they were going to play the Storm the following week, you know, as, as they deserved to for finishing the top four. And maybe they had eyes on, on, on bigger things ahead, but um, the effort and the energy, look, um, you know, if you get waltz by 60 points like we did the week before, and and you know, you've only got one game to go and you can't make the playoffs and, you know, um, you're going to finish 12th regardless. You know, there was no way we could have finished high. There was no way I, I think we could finish lower. But the, for them to go out there, just showed a lot of pride in the jersey and, um, and, and a lot of effort, you know. And, and to cut, you know, they were a shandy away from beating the top four side with, with a team that was, had players out of position, had guys who hadn't really played all year. Um, and they go, gave it a red-hot crack. And so one thing I will say, you know, like... Um, you know, um, that, yeah, there has been a, a change of head coach and, and so on, but I don't think the, the group, um, you know, has ever lost that work ethic or, or sort of desire to represent the, the Rabbitohs. You know, what, what, what we've tried to do is just, you know, make some, um, not, not throw out everything because there's some, you know, the, the, the club's been very well coached for, for a long time, but, um, you know, I suppose uh, do things my way how I want things to be done and, um, and make some minor changes in and around, um, you know, the, the process, what we do. But, um, you know, the work ethic and the compliance of the group hasn't, um, you know, hasn't changed. And, um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're hopeful, optimistic, we're hopeful, whatever word you want to use, you know, we, um, whichever club would be at this time of year, it's a pretty good time of the year because pre-season, you know, you've played a trial game and everything's uh, rosy at the moment, but yeah, we're really optimistic and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're confident in giving a, a good account of ourselves, but we are also realistic enough to know that we're, we're the hunters this year, you know what I mean, we ought to go and try and hunt some of the better teams, you know, because... It's a quality competition. It's, it's like the UFC. It's yeah. to, to win a fight. From what I can see, I, I think you guys. Oh, we could never get into the cage. I just, Me neither. I don't even like getting into to shake hands with people. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I, don't, I reckon people will watch it. I, and I, you know, even though I, I coach in sport, I, I don't realise how hard it is for Rob to win a fight against Romero. Or, or you know, I, I don't understand that because I've never been in that situation. What's like? Um, it's like supporters uh, or members um, or rugby league followers probably don't understand how hard it is to win an NRL game. It's hard. Man, people say to me sometimes like, and I'm not like the head coach or nothing. We don't we don't really kind of have that like a head yeah. coach. We got yeah, like a no, little, I know that. Yeah, we got like a little structure of like a uh, little council, uh, uh, if you uh, will. Yeah, and talking yeah. to Alex and even you and when I love how Man. Uh, you guys work. But I'll I'll tell you this: like people go to me. Like there's what I hope and there's what I think will happen, objectively think, which is what I get paid for. You know, like when they say to me, what do you think is going to happen with Rob and Romero? And I'm like, man, 50-50. We've got our game plan. I'm not going to put it out on the thing, but it's 50-50. Like if you, man, you, my mum can look at Romero and know that's not going to be an easy fight. Like anyone can see that. You know what I mean? And so then they go to me, oh, so you don't have confidence in your guy. And I think, no, I'm not delusional. Like I understand that Romero... He's been, he's like, people don't even understand what, like his achievements. Yeah, it's freakish. He's is, is, is a medalist in 2000, wasn't he? You know, he was a medalist in 2000. Not right? only was he a medalist in 2000, a silver medalist, he medaled in every world championship for like 10 years, yeah. something ridiculous like that. So then, and he's only had one other loss, not even at that weight division. So his other loss was in the light heavyweight division against Cavalcante, who was a monster, who's a strike force champion in the next division up. So for people, when they ask me that, and I say, I think the fight's 50-50, it's gonna be whoever gets their game off first. Um, and luckily for us on that day, it went, this is the other thing, it went perfect, but honestly, Romero's game plan went perfect too. The only thing was, if it was from rugby league terms, they fumbled, he fumbled the ball yeah. three times. Yeah. Yeah. And when you know, there's not there's not much in it. It's yeah. you know whatever it was, and Rob picked it up. Yeah, you know that's that's all that happened, and we won by a field goal kind of thing, like or a try. Like it wasn't. It, and 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 even in fights like when um, Rob fought Tavares, and Rob knocked him out in 45 seconds, people don't understand if the, if if Rob has to fight him again, mate. It's oh, yeah. it's. Tavares is, you have to put him to sleep. Yeah. He's not going to go away. So people don't, don't get that. And I think with, the, with NRL, you're only like, you, fump, you throw an intercept in the first minute and they score. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's got nothing to do like, with, what, what, with what I think, what I hope would happen yeah. is Romero falls over and doesn't, you know, Rob just does something to him and he wins. That, that, that's what I'd hope yeah. happens, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, uh, 
you talk about that and your point you said before about control and what you can. I mean, I've been asked this question a, a thousand times now. How are you going to go this year? You know, and, and I understand. <laughs> I, understand <laughs> I understand the question, but it drives me bonkers, mate. Because you know, you know what? Um, like, I can't control what other teams do, and I can't control if the referee gives a good decision or, or a poor decision here. And you know, you can't control who gets injured. All I can control is. is is what we did today out there on the park by being well planned, uh, being really um, detailed with our review of the training session. You know, when I go back over there and watch it, um, yeah. So I can, I, you know, for me, it's about staying in the present. You know, so um, you know, not looking ahead and, and thinking of I want to be a top eight team or I want to, you know, finish better than twelfth or whatever else. Because in a lot of ways, yeah, you can't. It's out of my control. But what I can control is the environment that we. Um, put in place and the, uh, the, the the planning that we put in place and actually what we delivered to that training. So, you know, um, we, we did the job over there today. It was, it was a tick, you know, we, we, we got out of it what we needed to get out of it and we'll go and review it aggressively now. And, um, and then all it can control is what we do tomorrow. I and mean, tomorrow's a recovery day. So, you know what, I don't want the players in the place. I want them to go and have a mental freshen up tomorrow. That's what I control. And then the next thing I can control is what we do on Thursday. So I really try and have that narrow focus and, and try and stay in the present as much as possible because, you know, how the hell would I know how we're going to do? I'm only guessing, you know, I'd be guessing and, and you don't know what's going to be presented to you. You know, there's always mountains and hurdles and, and challenges that you need to, to, to climb. So um, I find the best way for me, and it was even when I was an assistant coach, the best way for me to to, to keep focus is to, is to be really present, if that makes sense, and, and try yeah, and narrow down uh, what I can control. What's, you know, what, what's it look like for me today as a head coach? Or when I was an assistant, what's it look like for me today as an assistant? What do I need to do to do my job well? You know, um, and, and that's what we, we've, you know, that's what I've tried to um, implement over here you know, across the road. And, um, and it is like in the hands of the, the football gods or, is, or whatever god you yeah, believe in no, or... None or whatever, but it's out of your control. Yeah, it is. I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting under the box, you know. Um, how much influence do I have over the group in a game? Yeah, you make the interchanges, but at the end of the day, it's what you do during the week. So what we try and do is provide the environment, you know. So we use a lot of, I'm not sure if you guys do this, but we use a lot of scenario-based training, you know what I mean? So we finished, we finished the training session today, it was the last four minutes. Um, we call it an arm wrestle. So it's a four-minute arm wrestle. Um, red team, you're 14. Green team, you're 10. So the red team is our first team. The green team is our reserve team. And red team, you're up. Four minutes to go in the game. Go and play it. Because that's how they learn. If I don't expose them to those experiences, we, you know, we have all different sorts of scenarios. You know, an earlier scenario in the training session was the start of the game. First four minutes of the game. You know, first six minutes of the game. First eight minutes of the game. Go and play it. How are you going to jump out of the box here today? So they get a picture or a, or a learning opportunity that they can experience that's got context about it you know if we just said okay boys we're going to just play against each other for four minutes it doesn't have context to it um, it, it could still potentially learn but by having a context to it with a, with a scenario what a scoreboard or a, or you're down to 12 players you know how are you going to defend this next four minutes with 12 players which they had to do for a little bit over there today so so that's you know talk about the teaching side of things that's what i think my strength is that i can bring to to, to our preparation, you know, putting context to it, um, giving them uh, episodes that they can sort of learn from, you know. So, um, you know, going back to the start of our conversation, we spoke about worst case scenarios and big demands and tactical periodization, which I spoke about as just a common sense approach. Uh, the other common sense approach is we need to expose the guys to the big demands of the game. So, um, 
you know, if, if we just look at the average demands, and, and, and by the demands I mean, okay, um, meters per minute, XLD cells um, squared per minute, uh, high speed running uh, per game, we, we look at all that detail. We've got the worst case scenarios that each individual and each position specific group has been um, um, exposed to last year in the NRL. So we know the percentage individually and collectively that we train above the worst case scenario. So we spend a whole heap of time exposing the guys to the peak demands of the game um, in our training sessions and we can review it. And um, you know, at, at different times and different periods of their game, we, we look to train between 10 and 20% higher than the worst case scenario that we encountered last year. Because at the end of the day, as I said before, we've got the same group of players, so we need to change something. So, you know, um, um, you know, our way of doing things is, you know, scenario-based training, exposing them to peak demands of the games during each, you know, um, at different um, sections or segments of the training session. And that's that's a common sense approach. That's a tactical periodization approach for one of, 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 a, of a more simpler word. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. You know, so, yeah, that's sort of what we can control. That's what I can control with, with the planning. And obviously I delegate some of that to to the assistant coach, so it's not always me talking about it. Um, but, um, but but I see a lot of parallels in what you're saying, regardless of whether it's you're coaching rugby league or, I don't know, running a household or your, your, I don't know, whatever it is that you're doing, because you can control what you can control. Yeah. And if you're worrying about something you can't control, then, you know, you're not even cooking these eggs right. Yeah. You're not even, yeah, yeah. You're not even doing whatever it is that you're trying to do at that particular moment because you're so worried about another outcome that that is going to happen no matter what yeah. you do and i think um like uh yeah i see i see that happen with with just you know now with the whole job interviews and everything that's going at work and then people are trying to to do their job and worry about the interviews and that that like tafe's going through like a restructural yeah, sure. period so it's like a it's a brilliant place to be at right now. Yeah, so. yeah. Did did you want to ask anything, say anything? No, I, I just like the concept of being present in the moment. We yeah. actually heard that from Rob as well. Um, just like because I asked Rob about you know what do you actually think about when you're walking to the cage and you're gonna step in this cage? This guy's gonna fully smash the crap yeah. out of you. And you just being present in the moment. And I think you know I think that that that's the core of what you just said around being present in the moment and. You can't control what you can control, yeah. but you can control the preparation, yeah. which which is a very powerful message. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people sort of said to me, "Oh, yeah, you, you're under pressure, or you must feel the pressure." You know, now you're in the in the hot yeah. seat. They call it the hot seat. But everything in sport, everything in life, it's it's all a cycle. You know what I mean? Like you're only in that particular role for for X amount of time, and you know that you're going to get a tap on the shoulder. You know, we're only here on Earth for a certain amount of time. You know, so. Um, everything's a cycle in life so I don't sit there fretting about um, the day when I get a tap on the shoulder and, and they say oh well, you're not the Rabbitohs coach anymore you know what um, it's, it's you know, going to happen it's going to happen that's, that's the sport case even the best case scenario you're going to be moved into a different role yeah man, sport moves in cycles this is my opportunity or this is my cycle now yeah, so I'm, I'm very conscious of that I'm very present uh, around that fact but if I fret about the outcome I'm not doing my role so talking about staying in the present that's it's a really important thing for me to do and and, and when in my head I um, go to the outcome you know I've got some strategies in place where it, it brings me back to to the here and now you know what I mean and I think that's important for a player or an athlete or, or in whatever sport that 
um, we're involved with, you know. So I've spent a lot of time, um, you know, developing those skills myself, you know, and it's a work on still. One of the things we were talking about this yesterday with just like in general, you know, about staying in the moment where we even, even people can't stay in the moment in a conversation. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when, when you're trying to, uh, to build something, people want to build, you know, the pyramids and yeah. you go, dude, you've got to do a sandcastle <laughs> first, you know? And uh, sometimes you're talking to people and you can tell that, not, you know, everyone's mind wanders, but you're talking to people sometimes and they are not with you. Uh-huh. They are quietly orbiting Jupiter. <laughs> and I, I noticed that like just in the most basic of things where people cannot be in the moment. They, they're, not, they're not there. Um, but yeah, Dave, you're a fan of South Sea. I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder. And oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. tried to relax when I saw the Verges brothers walk oh, through yeah. a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, so, yeah, no. But no, long-term good. fair. Yeah. F- yeah, I think it's um, family tradition, heritage. Yeah. <laughs> for no, years. That's crazy. why South fans are full on. So. I know. I, you know, I, um, we're really fortunate. You know, as a club, we're really fortunate that we've got such a big supporter base, such a big membership base. And, and it's and it's um, yeah, it's, it's really long lasting. You know what I mean? Because you think what um, less than twenty years ago the club was was out Nothing. of the comp, it was extinct. Yep. It was it was you know almost almost dead and buried. You know, so um, uh, I think everyone who's involved in the club here really appreciated the fact that um, this is a, a special club. It's um, it's got a long history and, and um, you know great legacy. So um, for me. I'm just privileged that you know I've got an opportunity to to coach at the club. You know I'm really um, I'm aware of, of the privilege that comes with that. And you know as I said, well, yeah, South's a, a very passionate support um, supporter base and membership base. Yeah. What what's that like for you? Like, I mean, I, I only like on an intellectual level, people say to me, you know, well, when when everyone else has got three thousand fans, South has got fifteen thousand fans. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. I just made that up, yeah. but. They say that, and I can sort of appreciate that, but I can't. Like, like, what's it like viscerally, like being in a situation where you, you have that, that that amount of support, but that amount of expectation, and yeah. possibly that amount of backlash? Like, do you feel that as a coach? Um, it's a funny one because um, you know we've only played the one trial game, and you know we had a good result, and it was a good performance by younger guys. I don't read social media. Um, you know, I don't. I don't. Read the YouTube comments. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't uh, engage in, in social media. I don't because yeah. um, you know I don't. I mean, you could spend your life worrying about that, but like, who really knows who's writing the comment? You know, often they're anonymous or they've got nicknames or whatever. And, you know, it could be a you know it could be a fifteen-year-old girl or a sixteen-year-old boy or a fifty-year-old man or a sixty-year-old lady. I, I don't know. I don't know what their motivation is or or, or whatever else. So. Um, you know, as I said, that not everyone's going to agree with what, what I do or the decisions I make. I understand that, but if I start listening to to um, the members or I start listening to the supporters, um, in a real short time, I'll get a tap on the shoulder and I'll be sitting up there with them. You know what I mean? So um, I just try and make the, um, the decisions that I think are best for the club. Now, are they always going to be right? No, but neither is the prime ministers or neither is the no whoever it is. You know, in leadership, you know. Um, and you learn, you know, you, you learn through failures, you learn through successes, you learn through, um, you know, where you potentially handle, you know, I'm always learning, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think um, 
yeah, the day I'm not um, I'm not learning, then probably the day for me to give up as a coach. But um, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like it's it's a big club, and and it's it's funny. Like I've sort of you know as an assistant coach in a lot of ways, particularly at club level, you you live a, a really anonymous existence to the wider rugby league public. You know, I mean, your hardcore supporters will will know you and so on, but you live a really anonymous existence. Now, the only thing that probably prepared me for this role has been the last few years where I've been assistant coach at origin level and Kevin Waters. Um, Are you this going to no, be? No, I've had to, I've had to, well, I, how, how does that work? I don't I, know. I run Kevin Waters and I just said, listen mate, you know, what, what do you think? You know, this is what I'm thinking. He's like, no, yeah, it's, it's too hard for you to do both roles. You know? Okay, so generally if you're a full-time coach, you wouldn't be? You're not a head coach, you know, assistant coach, yeah, and that's what I've done the last few years, and the head coaches have, have allowed me to do it because it's you know, great for my development, it's great for the clubs that I've been involved with to be you know, part of that uh, team, and Queensland being so successful, you know, every, you know, every man and their dog would, would want to be involved with that, I, I, I loved it, you know, and certainly I didn't want to give it up, but I knew I had to, you know, I couldn't be selfish, it would have been selfish of me to keep that role and then try and do this role, because then potentially you're, yeah. you're not given um, everything to both roles, so... Yeah, that, that is sort of... I have a question. How hard is it for you to, I don't know, coach person X it's week in, week out, but then you coach against them in origin? Yeah, I'm trying... And then you see the dude. You know what? I'm trying to think... Um, um, so, so players I work with at club level who play for the Blues. Yeah. yeah I don't think I had that. Um, Renault? No, because I wasn't working with Renault when, when he played for the Blues. And English. Oh, one. sorry, uh, Dylan Walker. I was coaching Dylan Walker at the time when I was coaching um, assistant coach of Queensland. Dylan Walker was playing for Manly, so I had one season coach, uh, assistant coach of Manly, and Dylan was, was playing for the Blues. How hard is it to exploit idiosyncrasies in a particular player? Um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm genuine. Well, well, yeah. well, yeah, look, it's funny, well, because you, you obviously know their strengths and weaknesses, but I go back to, I remember Craig Bellamy coached the Blues for a few years, and obviously Cameron Smith and Slater and Cronk and, um, you know, Dallas Johnson, there was, there was four or five Queenslanders that he loved and worked with every day for a long, long time, and then he, all of a sudden he's the Blues coach. You know what I mean? And I know um, he found it quite difficult coaching against, you know, the guys that he was coaching every single day. So I'd imagine it would be really difficult. With Dylan... Um, I think he only played the first two Origin games and it was off the bench. So, um, you know, a big part of our preparation wasn't revolved around him. But if I was Craig Bellamy and uh, coaching New South Wales and you're coaching against Queensland, Slater and Smithy and Cooper Cronk would have been right at the very top of your, your list that you're trying to... They, they are yeah, the people that you're, people yeah, like, you're yeah. looking at, along with Thurston, you know. They're, they're, they're three of the four guys. You're, you're going, right, well, this is what we've got to do here. This is his strength, this is his weakness. So that would have been really challenging, I would have thought, but... Because um, someone like uh, Bellamy, I don't know a great deal about rugby league, yeah. but my understanding about Bellamy is that, as far as like the rug, the rugby league career of those guys, he was instrumental. Oh, like he's been, he's had yeah. them since they were yeah young. I think um, they would have been all eighteen or nineteen when when Bellick first got hold of them. So so yeah, he'd be it'd, no, the, the, the role the, the relationship yeah, would be they're, insane. They're like, sons to him, you know, in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? They're very tight, you know? So that would have been challenging, yeah. But going back to the role, what it did enable me to do is, um, you know, Kevy put me out there in front of the, the media. I'd always do the last media conference and it'd be like, you know, 20, you know, you know how big Origin is. On game day, I'd do the last media call and, you know, there'd be 20 or 30 
reporters or whatever and you're, you're going out live on Channel 9 or Fox Sports and, you know, they're asking you sort of some, some, some tricky sort of questions. So at least I was exposed to that. And then through that, um, you know, um, I probably got more recognition in rugby league as far as people sort of knowing who you are and where you've been and what you've been doing. But it's... it's um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's different. Like, you know, you know you, you'll get Rabideau supporters, you know, we'll pass you and say g'day and how are we going to go and, and whatever else, and you, and you sort of um, you, you chat and so on. But, um, you know, as I said, I know that there'll be some challenging days, and you know, and you cop a bit of stick on social yep. media or whatever else, but what do you do? You know I mean, yeah. I mean, so what... Sorry, David. Uh, well, just saying when you're, you're presenting live and stuff, Fab and I have spoken about it a bit. How does the teaching help with that sort of stuff? So, like, you know, doing it on a podcast, asking questions for Fab and I, because we're constantly talking yeah. to people teaching. Yeah. It comes naturally. Yeah. So, do you find that comes naturally? Yeah, to you? yeah it does. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, you know, we talked about transferable skills there before. Getting up and presenting in front of a group. Now, when I lecture, you know, there'd be sometimes 100 odd students in, in yeah. the, the lecture theatre, you know what I mean? Or when I've taught in classes, there's. 28, 30, you know, 30 odd kids um, there. Well, it's the same when you get up in front of a group, you know, I've had to talk in front of the group today with 36 players plus a whole heap of staff, so you're talking to 40 odd, you know, people and having to engage them or whatever. So I reckon those things help you. Um, I guess never really phased me doing, uh, you know, live, you know, like a live uh, interview, you know, like a 30 second or a minute interview or whatever you had to do for, for, for the origin. Um, it's never really phased me. I sort of, yeah. I reckon the teachings helped me enormously with my presenting skills and asking, you know, yep. when I'm talking to the players, asking them questions and, and you know, uh, framing up questions and um, framing up responses to answers to, to then engage with the next question. Look, I, I'm really comfortable doing that in front of a class. And then when I've been asked questions in front of the media, um, uh, yeah, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, um, you know, there'll be times when we lose or whatever and, that, you know, they'll throw up some tricky questions or whatever at you but um, I don't feel uncomfortable um, yeah I think that the teaching um, has helped with you know, having clarity and being able to deliver a message and so on yeah I think as well like when you I think academia and everything we, we, we discussed but I think high school high school teaching is funny as well because um, I'm not a high school teacher by trade, but we run programs through TAFE yeah, of course. where, where you teach, you're teaching high school kids and depending on how you end up, you might be teaching high school kids a week. And um, they just don't care. That, that, like, if, if you go out there and I think maybe TAFE and university, they'll come at you a little bit different, but like high school kids, if like they go like, oh, yeah, I can get away with this, they, they won't care. So you have to have... Um, a certain ability to, um, have to have a thick skin. 100%. You know I what I mean? That. The most challenging times I've had, it's not talking in front of the NRL boys or the Origin boys. Or whatever. I can remember when I was, t um, you know, I taught year nine for the first time. Imagine that. They, they, just, they have no fear of consequence. They just didn't care. It's, it's, you know, they, were, they try and keep their attention and try and teach and engage. And it's great ground for 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 coaching in a lot of ways because you know you're trying to deliver a message and there's distractions and, and whatever else but um, and the distractions don't have to be big no yeah no. Well, you try and explain that to people as well yeah. as a teacher like you sometimes like I don't know you're somewhere and you're like please please don't do that because I'm talking to them they're 16 or 15 whatever you know it could be anything yeah, you just no, like, do not way. do not mess it up in the middle we, we had a class where we started these classes are 
with uh, three-year-old kids, three-year-olds doing okay, yeah. grappling at, at our gym. And with people like, uh, sometimes you see parents like, you've got 10, 15 three-year-olds lined up against a wall, which is not easy to do. And you'll have a parent like say something, I just want to say something in the middle of the class and I think, Quiet, you know how hard it is, you know how hard it is to get them to just be quiet? It's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. So what happens now for you today? So now, you because you first, the other thing is, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, because, cool. um, really enjoyed it. We know how busy you are and everything. Um, Rob, Rob would have been here, he's at the Commonwealth Games yeah. training camp at the moment. But um, like, I'm under no illusion of how busy you are yeah. and what this, how valuable this time of yours is. Like we, yeah, for no, me, and I'm sure the other yeah. guys. No, are. no, and it's my pleasure too, because um, you know, like uh, you know, got to know you a little bit last year, um, and, and Alex, and I really respect um, you guys, and and um, and obviously, you know, I've admired uh, Rob from from afar, and obviously, you know, got to, to meet him a couple of times as well. So now it's more of a probably a pleasure for me to, to oh, uh, reciprocate it. I can assure you, jump in there with you guys. So. So what happens then? You drive home. Yeah. So home. what, what time do you get home? Yeah, so what I, do, I normally uh, I'm normally here till about six thirty. I try and uh, leave the traffic leave the leave the traffic die, die down a bit. But what what it does do? I um, I'll go back here this afternoon. I'll cut up today's training. It's all the, the components of the training session that, that um, I need to cut up. The other coaches we've delegated um, who who sort of cuts what vision. Um, we send that to our football analyst. He puts it up on huddle. So that's my first um, job when I go back. I'll, I'll cut train and he puts it up on huddle, which is a, um, it's an app um, yeah, um, that we use on the iPad. So the boys get to see their vision tonight. So, you know, any clip, you know, let's just say it's um, Sam Burgess. Uh, he gets an alert um, that he's got some vision to watch. And so there's six or seven or eight clips that are associated with Sam. You know, it might only be two minutes of vision, but he gets that and he gets an opportunity to watch it on his iPad. So he promotes conversation when he comes in the next day. So, um, yeah, Seems, I, I saw you, you set that one there, the inside shoulder. You know, I needed to get screwed for a So it promotes them coming to you. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be you going to, to grab them and say, right, this is what you've got to do by sending it out tonight. It's called flip teaching, flip learning. I'm sure yeah. you've sort of, yeah. um, you know, know that. They're putting the onus back on them yeah, to, yeah. to create flip, the conversation. Flip the classroom, you know. Yeah. Put, 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 a P-mentoring, getting yeah. them to teach yeah. whatever. We might follow up with them tomorrow, or the coaches will follow up with them tomorrow, but that's what we do. So our first job now, <coughs> pardon me, is go back, cut that. Um, um, I've started writing some notes for the tip sheet against the Dragons this week. So, you know, some key notes that um, we give out a tip sheet to the players on Friday. And um, so I'll just start to make some no some notes in and around that, um, you know. So I leave here normally as a rule by six thirty or at six thirty, which gets me home. I, I live over on the northern beaches, so it gets me home about quarter past seven, uh, half past seven. But pretty much all my work's done. If that makes sense for the day, I, I do try and um, um, get home, and just spend a little bit of time with the kids, and, and sort of got a bit of a rule. Got to come in and um, you know, not have my phone with me and, and, ha and sit down and have dinner with with the kids. So I do that, um, yeah, you know what I mean? But it's hard to stop thinking about, oh, I just find at the moment it's hard for me to stop thinking, you know? So yeah, uh, last night, like it's bizarre, I've been up since 1.30 this morning, you know? So it's, it's crazy. Well, this is my next question. Yeah. What time do you get up? What time do you get asleep? Well, I normally fall asleep about 9.30, 10 o'clock. I'm pretty routine with that. Um, but like waking, like getting up, like I, I had my alarm set anywhere between uh, 4:30 and, and say 10 past five. So depending on what 
day. What's required. Yeah, yeah. what's required. Because uh, I always like to come in and have a little bit of a train. Um, and sometimes we start with a meeting at 6.30, so I need to get it done before then. So it varies. But I miss all the traffic by coming in early. But, yeah, you know, I, I imagine it's like, you know, you're leading up to a big fight. Um, you know, say, for instance... Um, you know, uh, you've got a couple of busy days coming up. No, it's, game it's full week. on, yeah. Uh, like last night, I was in a real deep seat. I woke up at 1.30 and I just had all these things. Like, oh, I've got to do that tomorrow. So I've got to do that, I've got to do that. And it's hard. It was just hard for me to get back to sleep. So I, I you know, I tried to get back to sleep. I couldn't. I kept thinking of different things. So I just jumped up at 4.30 and I drove in this morning. So, um, but the thing is, I can't not show the players energy if that makes sense because you ain't talk about nobody it, cares what happened to you yeah, like, yeah. energy suckers and, and energy givers if I'm not uh, on point and um, you know um, you know uh, concise and clear with my message you know look, we, we showed some of the dragon stuff today like I showed their their, their attack trends and Dave Furner showed their um, defence trends you know in two different meetings um, you know if I'm not engaging with, with that if I'm not well planned with you know I've got a bit of OCD with planning so um, but if you know if I'm not engaging, I'm not energetic, and I'm not asking questions and engaging the group, and, and then when we're on the training field, if I'm not doing my job um, because I woke up at 1:30, well, you know that's I'm not doing justice. So yeah, it just that comes the nature of the job. I'm sure any any um, you know one in, in different leadership positions, and they, you know they're always thinking. Uh, as I said, I've got a pretty sort of creative sort of uh, mind. Uh, normally I can sleep through you know four o'clock four thirty it's pretty good but just for whatever reason last night I, I you know just sort of had, had so many things sort of you know running through the mind as I said I'm normally pretty good at being able to um, you know refocus and and, and draw it back but yeah so yeah it's been we've had a good day training I'm really happy with what we've done and I'll go back and review it now and get on to my next job and you know get home and have, have dinner with the kids and. And, um, yeah, it all happens again, I suppose, tomorrow, you know, so it's probably like you guys, you know, so yeah, it's the same in whatever industry, you know. I think, um, again, transferable skills is like, you know, uh, you know, we have these conversations with Rob and, and with other athletes and other young guys come through it, or just other people. Um, what are you like, what are you going to do? Like, what is it that you want to do if you want to work nine till three? Then and spend the rest of the time surfing. That's nothing wrong with no, that. That's right. I think that's awesome. But you're not going to expect that you're going to be NRL winning coach. No. You're not going to be the world champion surfer either. No. So then you start to understand that there's people out there. And I, I had a conversation with someone about this the other day. But like I said, like, oh, I hope that you don't do your job right because I'm going to try. And there's dudes out there that. Are coaching against you, you know, that are getting up yeah. at 4:30 in the morning, and they're not getting home till 7:30 at night, and they're waking up at 1:30 in the morning, yeah. going, I can't go back to sleep, yeah. and they're off, you know. And so, if you want to get up at eight o'clock, someone's been up 100%. for four hours well, working already. So, I mean, good luck, you know. You know, it's, it's, um, I'm not sure if um, you, you've seen the Tom uh, versus Time. Um, the documentaries, it's documentaries on Tom Brady at the moment that um, all the boys have been watching them over, over here. And on one of the episodes, uh, talks about Tom Brady. Says if you're going to beat me this weekend, or if you're going to beat me on Sunday, um, then uh, you need to have a real good workout because I'm watching X amount of vision. I'm doing this amount in the gym. I'm doing that amount on the field. And like I know how hard Belichick works. You know what I mean? So if I think that I can keep myself and and um, you know work a uh, 7 a.m. in the morning till you know 3:30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, roll and and 
and prepare the team in that amount of time, then I'm kidding myself, you know what I mean? Um, because, as you say, like, um, you know, you need to obviously be smart about what you do, but um, you need to have a good worker. They can, you need to sacrifice some things and, um, you know, like, uh, I think when I got the job, they sort of said, oh, I was an overnight success, and I sort of said, well... Yeah, um, <laughs> of course you were. Yeah, I said, uh, well, I've done an apprenticeship um, three times longer than... than the, yeah, the which is... down the road, you know yeah. what I mean? So... Because um, you were selling hot dogs at the beach a week before. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, you know, I know I know what it takes to, to get the job done, um, but does that guarantee success? No, it doesn't. But I can control what I do. Uh, can control um, the environment that we sort of provide for the group and, and I'll continue to work on getting that better, you know, uh, improving it and, um, and then, you know, when my cycle's done, whenever that is, yep. um, you know, I feel I leave a decent legacy for the next guy and um, like I said, I'm only at the very start of, uh, of my journey as a head coach so um, it's all before me, you know, like I, I haven't um, you know, I haven't been a head coach in the NRL, so it's it's all brand new. So it's quite exciting, but it's also um, um, yeah, it's going to be challenging. So um, okay, awesome. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up yeah, and let okay, you finish mate. up. Oh, this is just one of our club shirts, hey, mate. Awesome. For you. I love these shirts. Cheers, mate. Thanks, <laughs> mate. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Anthony. Thanks no, a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, David and Eli, for everything. Thanks, thanks. guys. Cheers, guys.